Hey, we're going again with my friend, John Nellis. John, thank you for coming down, brother. I really appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah, great. Thank Welcome. You. Awesome. So, John, um, you're an actor, mm -hmm. voice coach, <clears throat> professional ski instructor. Oh, my God, what else do you do? <laughs> I have a little side business. Yeah. Of all strange, strange things. I have a little side business with a friend of mine uh, who sell, we sell organic beds or sleep systems as we call them really yeah best beds in the world no all kidding right. so totally this organic. is a theme this is all a theme yeah. no <laughs> so if you need a need a good bed let, give me a call Damn. <laughs> what's the company name huh. what's it? it's called samina samina s-a-m-i-n-a samina.com samina.com yeah if i remember i'll put that up on the screen sure all right so oh, that's wicked that's yeah. cool and i thought we're going to talk about i'm a fight director too <laughs> i'm a state as a stage fight director right Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No way. That I know. Yeah, I was a fight director down at the Shaw Festival for five seasons. And I taught stage combat at uh, George Brown Theater School for 12 years. Now, you teach currently, right? You teach acting. Uh, right now, I'm working with the third-year students at the theater school in a new kind of position uh, on speech so that for their productions, I kind of listen in and say, you know, we can't hear you here or, you know, um, if, the, if they're having trouble communicating their text well, I work with them on making sure it's clear and that they're communicating effectively with that. So it's, right it's, it's sort of, it's, a, it's not quite dialect coaching because they're not doing any dialects, but, right. but it is, um, it's kind of fine tuning that. But I, I was teaching just before the pandemic, I came back and was teaching dialects on there, they also have a, f a film and TV media studies program through the School of Design. So I came in and was teaching them their dialects and um, uh, and then the pandemic happened and stuff. So yeah. I was teaching online through Zoom with them for a while, which is interesting because we had, we had a couple of students who were overseas. One was in Russia and one was in, I can't remember the other one was, and, and she was getting up at like, three in the morning oh, wow. to come to, to class to come to class <laughs> and she was uh, she's i noticed she'd be kind of bouncing around and i'd said are you listening to music are you paying attention she said i'm trying to stay awake you know <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah we we had an international class it was oh wow that's wicked yeah and then wow. okay so in keeping with communication and clarity Make sure that you're in front of that microphone, brother. I'm all sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. I should know <coughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, people lose track. You know, this is a conversation. Yeah. We shouldn't be worried about the damn microphones. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's fascinating. The um, So do you teach acting? Have you teaching? I taught acting a little bit uh, way back in uh, grad school. Because I had a lot of questions about teaching acting. Mm -hmm. Are you the guy? Uh, I mean, I've... Taken, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kinda, you know, <laughs> you know uh, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. So, how did you? Okay, where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in Edmonton. Okay. But my family left when I was six months old. I was born in May, and in November they left. They went to the states. Um, my my mother was Swiss, and my dad was German. And you know, like many people after the war, they came over here in the early fifties, like around fifty three, and. Um, uh, my dad had trained as a cheesemaker. He was a master cheesemaker. We would love that guy. Yeah, yeah let's get him out here on the podcast. <laughs> a lot of the, actually, a lot of the 
small cheese factories in Ontario, we help build and have our machines in them. No way. Oh, wow. I used to work with him in the summers, and then I worked with him between undergrad and grad school full time and stuff. My brother still works huh. with the company. And um, yeah, like uh, a lot of the large uh, companies and a lot of the little ones were made with our machines, or made with our machines. So, um, wow. Yeah, that was another lifetime. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, but uh, so uh, <coughs> my dad, their original intention at the time, they couldn't immigrate to the States. So they came to Canada and um, met out there and got married. And then um, they wanted to go to Wisconsin because there were lots of Swiss people there. There were hundreds of cheese factories. Man, there. the dairy capital of the U.S. Dairy capital of the U.S., yeah, America's Dairyland. So um, uh, they moved there eventually. And then, and then after um, he was working there, uh, he got a job uh, managing a factory in Iowa. And so uh, it was in a tiny little town, and my mom said, we are not going to move into this town with 200 people. <laughs> in so we moved to a, a town with 5,000 people. <laughs> uh, we didn't want to move to a small town. Now, if I'm not yet. mistaken, uh, a cheese factory might be the only factory that can burn down and the product itself gets better. Yeah, it's like a fondue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a grilled cheese in there. All the firefighters got these little forks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They keep it going for a while. We're not done yet. <laughs> Let's investigate why this yeah. burnt down. Bring a fork. <laughs> yeah. Somebody yeah. got the kibasa. Yeah. Oh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, so you went so, to Iowa? Yeah. So so we uh, we were in this little town called Maquoketa. Where? Yeah, Maquoketa, Iowa. Maquoketa. It's, it's a little this is coming out of a guy that town. teaches accents in... Uh, yeah, yeah, or true. As we just, true. We just he can say that word. Makokata. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's sort of halfway between Dubuque. You've probably heard of Dubuque, yeah. Iowa, and Davenport, the Quad Cities, where Caterpillar and all that's been built and everything. John Deere. It's halfway between those hmm. two. Okay. Yeah, it's about it's about 15 miles from the Mississippi River. Kuokata. Makokata. Makokata. Yeah, yeah. So we we uh, lived there. I grew up there. Went to school there, and then I went to University of Iowa. Got an undergraduate BA in speech and dramatic art, and then I left for a couple of years. Worked with my dad. I, you know, he wanted me to go into the family business, and I said, "Okay, I'll give you a fair shot at it and stuff." And after a couple of years, I just thought, you know, I did. I want to. It's really cheesy. Go back to. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure he's heard that one before. <laughs> oh, he got cheesed <laughs> off, and you know. Yeah. At all. So uh, anyway, so I, I went back to uh, grad school at Iowa for it was a three year MFA program in acting. Oh, wicked! And during that time, I like our group. We taught acting. I taught. I in, developed the stage combat system and instituted that there, teaching undergraduate stage combat and did all the fights for the shows. And then um, hmm. uh, I taught. Uh, I was an assistant on theater history, and you know you do all kinds of stuff as a graduate assistant. Right on. So yeah. what was it that it inspired you to go to the school in the first place, to get your... your To Iowa? Yes, uh, for acting. How, uh, how in, old in, would you have in been? High school, in, in high school, I, uh, I just got the bug. I had a, I had a, really, uh, had a really good speech, and speech teacher in school. The and, speech uh, teacher in high school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, we had we had a class of with lit and literature and things like that and uh, hmm. speaking, public speaking. And she used to do, 
uh, her name was Kate Gibbs, and she used to do these things where she'd write something on the board, like, um, uh, ice cream is the reason I live. And she'd point at you and she'd say, Randy, tell us about this. And you'd have to get up and just improvise and just speak off the cuff. I love vanilla ice cream. There you go. And you'd have to talk for five minutes. Or really? Whatever. Oh, five minutes. And, and <laughs> her idea was, she said, at some point in your life, you are going to have to get up and speak about something. You're going to have to either get up and make a presentation or something like that, hmm. or you're going to have to ask for a raise or whatever. And if you can keep your calm and speak clearly and get your ideas across, you'll have a better chance of getting what you want. I right? love this class. You That's know? neat. I mean, public speaking is like number three in a stress test. Mm -hmm. The first is death of a spouse or loved one. The second one is a thing being told you've got a terminal illness or something. And the third for many people is public speaking. Wow. Wow. And stuff. Yeah. So like I taught a class when I was in uh, grad school called Speech for Non-Speakers and Actors. Uh, that was for students who weren't in the theater program. So uh, I had, you know, business students, accounting students, engineering students. And it was, I said, at some point in your life, you're going to have to give a presentation or a PowerPoint or things like that. And, you know, we've all slept through PowerPoints where somebody puts up a slide and then reads you what's on the slide in a very you know, boring, mundane, sort of, sort of yeah, monotone kind of way. So we're seeing that the accounting and stocks are going down this year. In, in <laughs> yeah, totally right. Everybody wants to leave. So, or you know, you have to go ask your boss for a raise, right. or you want to advocate for a union or whatever in your in your workplace. And um, if you can do that without you know getting nervous and all that stuff. Then you can get your ideas across. Mm -hmm. No, it makes sense. So that was, you know, it's a great class. So she did that, and it then is. and then we also had this wonderful teacher uh, named Richard Wolf, who, who unfortunately just passed away this year. Um, he was um, a fantastic teacher. He taught humanities, and um, uh, it was also working with us in a drama program. And I started doing plays with them, and they and I loved it. And we had a we had a musical theater program, a choir program, and music in the school. So my high school, the three years of high school, we only had 500 students. My graduating class was 150 people. Okay. And in that school of 500 <coughs> people, our vocal music teacher had uh, 275 students in the vocal music program. That's more than half your school. Yeah. It was that like we had madrigal choirs, we had show choirs, we had. Uh, concert choirs and all this stuff and then the spring we would do a variety show where we uh, we would have you know rock music kids who had a band could play and and we would do dancing and we'd have musicals and all this stuff and I would do comedy stuff and and things like that so you're, and I, I just loved getting the applause and all that stuff you're funny and then and <laughs> So anyway, I, I would, um, uh, uh, I just thought, well, I don't, I don't really know what else I want to do. So when I went to university, I started studying speech and dramatic art. Incredible. Yeah.
so this one too. Yeah. yeah. So in university, the, the speech, that's not a public speaking thing. No, it's, that it's was actual That speech. was for acting, speech, speech for acting, yeah. Right, yeah. okay. And that's what got you into dialects and accents and things? Yeah, we st I mean, we studied, most people in theater school have a dialect. One of the things they learn is dialect. You know, you have movement, you have voice, you have acting class, theater history class. You have um, uh, you have voice, which is production of the voice, and then you have speech, which is articulation and that. And somewhere in there, you'll have some dialect classes hmm. or basic dialects. And then um, uh, that was just part of my training there. But I didn't. I I, I was just going to be an actor. Yeah. You know, and and then I went away, and then came back later into grad school yeah and in grad school i had a different teacher for that and uh the dialects we had dialects then as well but i wasn't thinking of dialect coaching um as a profession no uh, i i was at that point i studied had stage combat and i really loved it and i was mm -hmm. good at it and i and i went and did training with the society of american fight directors and all that stuff and um, uh, the head of the program for my assistantship said, I want you to develop a stage combat program for the undergraduates, and you can direct the fights for our shows. So I did that. And that's what I thought would be my sort of sideline within the business. Okay. And, um, and then the last year, uh, Iowa has the um, International Writers' Workshop and the Iowa Playwrights' Workshop. The oldest playwriting program in the states, hmm. and um, like Tennessee Williams went there, John Irving went to school there, um, hmm. and cool. so uh, yeah, it's an international program. It's a fantastic program for writers, and um, so uh, while I was there, every summer, like a lot of universities in the states, have a summer theater program, um, and like Shakespeare programs or things like that. And uh, so Iowa, every summer, would, would take uh, a playwright and focus on all their plays. So they did all Tennessee Williams plays okay. one summer. And then they would have academics from all over America would come because it was a rare chance to see all these plays from one playwright. And they'd have symposiums and all kinds of stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so the last summer that I was there... Uh, was Tom Stoppard's summer. So we were doing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Jumpers and all kinds of plays like that. And um, they brought in a dialect coach, this young woman who was the protege for Edith Skinner, who was at that time like the voice speech guru in the, in the U.S. And um, so she was our dialect coach. And um, I just kind of asked her, like, you know, it's kind of interesting. How do you do this? And how do you, I mean, I understood working and teaching and learning dialects because we'd had that in class. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really know much about coaching it for a show because <clears throat> we were doing <coughs> English accents for all the different parts in that show. And so uh, I kind of... She kind of told me how, how you do this. I sort of shadowed her a little bit as we did that. Uh, but never with the intention of doing it professionally. I just thought it was kind of interesting, you know, sure. and all that. And um, uh, then I, I forgot about it. And, you know, 
went on with my life and my career, and then it popped up later. Uh, well, that's fascinating. Uh, now, just, just the night before this podcast is being shot, um, my wife and I were watching television. Mm -hmm. I brought this up a little earlier today. Now, um, we watched uh, 112263, the television series starring James Franco. Mm -hmm. And as we're watching it, I turned to my wife and I said, Rhonda, pause it. She paused it. And I said, that's the guy who's coming tomorrow. John was acting in the show. And here you are, as big as life on my television. <laughs> um, so that particular scene took place in Kentucky. <clears throat> yep. I could tell that the accent was not you. Mm -hmm. You were Cause, acting. Because yeah, we'd met before. Kentucky, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Um, and, um, I have friends from Kentucky who have accents that you can't even understand what they're saying. And yours was incredibly subtle, but man... You could really, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Like it was really well done. Thanks. So do you, as a dialect coach, watch television and movies and just cringe when someone tries to affect a British accent? Let's say, pip, pip, Charlie, let's yeah. go. And it's horrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, most people can tell when it's not good. They're, they just, they can hear something isn't quite right. And that so yeah there are times when you do that you know <laughs> most most people don't care though i don't think right i don't know i mean you know when we do video games uh working on video games the video game people are re they really want accurate accents they will they will yeah they will hire people from those countries to well i i actually noticed well. you uh you worked sense. on assassin's creed mm-hmm which is a very, it's, I mean, it's got a lot of true history in that game. I can imagine how accurate they would like to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, well, yeah, that's. I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was in that game. You can kill me in that game. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> You'll be doing that later this I afternoon. May, <laughs> I may have already. <laughs> I, was, I was in the first one, the Syndicate, the, the London yeah, one. Yeah, wow. And, uh, and then there's, uh, but I was also coaching on that, and I coached on about five or six other games like in Far Cry Six, I coached the people yeah. in that, and there's another one with Spartan, the Spartan warriors, the Greeks, and then there's a one with uh, Egyptian, and there's another. That's right. There's another one, Gods and Monsters, which is more for sort of younger kids. Okay. And all that, so yeah, so I did that. Yeah, good but, games. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, uh, dialects that are not quite right. Unle now, unless you're doing a show where you know you're spoofing it or sending it up a little bit sure well that makes sense but even there they still need to be grounded and based in the right kind of accent and that and then the other thing that comes up is what we call an idiolect which is where you're doing a specific person like we did um, a show called run this town which is about uh, rob ford mm. and the and the the Stories were really about the interns who were working in the office, uh, but Rob Ford is in that. Oh. And Damien Lewis was hired to play Rob Ford. Now, if, if you know Damien Lewis, you know he looks nothing like him. And um, uh, I had a couple of sessions with Damien over Zoom when he was in England. And then the night that he came here, I saw him... We worked for a couple of hours that night, and the next day, he would spend five hours getting into makeup. 
with all oh, wow. okay. aesthetics and stuff and the fat suit and that. <clears throat> and so for the rest of the shoot, I never saw Damien as Damien. He was always in makeup. Um, and so in that, we looked at getting his speech as close to Rob Ford as we could. And also, a lot of times when I work on an idiolect like that, because I'm watching those people so much to figure out their speech and everything, I always pick, and I do this anyway because my actor training, is, is I look at the, the mannerisms, the, the affectations they have, the physical things like mm -hmm. that. So I work often with, if the actors will let me do that, I work with them on that as well, getting, mm. getting the things that those people do that, that um, is their sort of signature stuff. I can't, I can't imagine an actor not allowing you to do that. Yeah, it seems pretty important. So sometimes to, sometimes to, I'll, I'll worry about, I'll do all that stuff. You just help me with this. Yeah, but see yeah. what you just did, I worry about that stuff. You just worry about this. Mm -hmm. This is all part of the speech that you're making. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, th I, mean, I think so. You're, you're like cadence yeah. the way somebody. Yeah. Oh my God, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the like, the funny thing was like the first scene in the movie uh, is when you know when you could call him up and he would come talk to you or come to your house or whatever. That was one of the things he used to like to do. Mm -hmm. And we were uh, shooting out in North York, and so he, you see him at a distance getting out of the Escalade and talking to a little kid, and then you see him kind of waddling up to the door and knocking on the door and everything and I was on the street watching and there was a policeman a paid duty officer with us and he leans over to me and goes I used to do that with Rob we would I would go with him when he did this for security he walks just like him you know so I thought okay good we're in the ballpark right amazing and that. now Damien's voice is a slightly different pitch than Rob's, so I knew that we weren't going to match the pitch. Okay. But as long as you get the the intonation, the inflection, the Absolutely. resonance, and that stuff, it, you know, any time you see that, whether it's Kennedys or anything like that, have done the first few minutes, people are just kind of going, "Yeah, you know, he really looks like him," and "Oh, he always oh, sounds like him too," and then they forget about it. It's fascinating right? how he goes into that and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, huh? it's good. It's good. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's. it's it's like you go to a Shakespeare play when you go to Stratford. The first few minutes, it's like, what are they saying? Because the, the, the language. And then it's like you just, like we talk about. You start way to all blend in. Yeah. You know, you know, the varlet, what are you doing? You know, you, 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 you pick up that Shakespeare totally. rhythm and, and all that stuff. And so uh, with, with idiolects, it's, it's kind of the whole person. I imagine that's a little more difficult. Than just find than just doing an Alabama thing or a yeah, it, Russian it, thing. It depends <clears throat> on, like for example, with the Kennedys. The first, the, I I've done five Kennedy movies, and so the the last two were um, with Katie Holmes and John Cassar. Were he, they were both directing it, and so the f the first one, uh, the Kennedys, um, was with uh, Katie Holmes was playing Jackie. And Barry Pepper was playing uh, Bobby, uh -huh. and Greg Kinnear was playing Jack. And so uh, at first, I was just brought in to work with Katie and Barry. And the producer who hired me said, This is, we, we don't need caricatures. We don't need, like, really 
Kennedy, Kennedy, Kennedy stuff. This is a show about a family that's got drama and stress and in the White House, and it just happens to be the Kennedys. The Kennedys. Right. And I said, okay. Okay. I said, I don't, I don't think an audience is going to buy that, but you know, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. I said, it, you know, you don't need to worry about characters. I will not give you a caricature. Like a cartoon. You ask for a caricature. <clears throat> right. You know, there was a famous record by Vaughn Meter in the 60s um, about called The First Family, where they sort of sent up the first family and had all kinds of you know like jack would talk about bath time with the kids and he was going to say we we have a number of toys we have three pt boats we have three rubber ducks and the, the rubber ducks are carolines the pt you know all that stuff and he would sound like him but slightly characterized yeah yeah and and so that's what a lot of people think of when they think of that so um barry pepper called me like the next day and said i want to work with you on, on bobby and i said no the guy told me they just they don't want to go full kennedy here and he said no 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 no, no. we're going full he kennedy. wants to go he, full he, kennedy well, as said, an actor he said to them look um i've been looking online and people are already saying well he's too old she's too young this is that and i don't look enough like him and all this stuff right and he said to the producers if we don't go full kennedy this is career suicide right people are going to say well geez they didn't sound like him they didn't look like him it was awful right so he said i want to go full kennedy and so yeah he, and just as an aside your name is on this movie yeah. you, you get a credit for this <laughs> yeah. and somebody's gonna what the hell did At John do discretion <laughs> well that's yeah. true but, but yeah uh, um, like he he was getting a wig he was getting teeth and he also said I'm gonna have teeth so I need to know how to be understood with teeth that mm. I'm not used to hmm. so we started we started watching uh, videos I mean I had already I had a whole library full of books about the Kennedys and I had lots of recordings the tricky one, like I'd done one earlier called Jackie Ethel Joan, The Women of Camelot. And there was not a lot of Joan on tape, very little. Cause they forgive my ignorance, her, right? who is Joan? She was Ted's wife, Ted's first wife. Copy that. Um, uh, there was um, the famous White House tour that Jackie had done. But Jackie, um, because of the stuff going on with Marilyn Monroe and Jack, she sort of emulated Marilyn, but with that sort of breathiness. Oh, really? And, yeah, it was a bit of a dig at him. Um, oh, she did, wow. she did have Brilliant. A, she did yeah. have a bit of a breathy voice, but um, like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, she'd been to Eastern uh, finishing schools, uh, so she had that sort of way of speaking and all that stuff. Um, but there was very little of her just talking. Mm. There were a couple of commercial, uh, a couple of things where during campaigns where Rose and Jackie uh, and Ethel sometimes would, and Ethel, there wasn't much on Ethel <coughs> either. And they would be interviewed at the time on some you know, talk show in the 60s. And, but it was all very much like, you know, this is how you sit on a television. You know, this was relatively new <coughs> about using TV for 
political things, right? The, exactly. One of the reasons Jack won that first election against Nixon was because Nixon was sweating like crazy. He had this, you know, ski jump nose and yeah. older look. And Jack was this dashing, young, good-looking exactly. guy who's, who had an interesting, attractive sort of accent and, and clearly very well-spoken. Mm -hmm. And he used TV to his advantage, right? I like I just heard the other day um, uh, there was a clip on Fox where you know when the airplanes the the they grounded the airplanes right. the other day because of that blip yeah well Fox News was blaming you know this is Pete Buttigieg's fault right and so one of the one of the women uh, Fox hosts was saying well you know they now we'll see what he's really you know he's a nice guy he's a good looking guy looks good on TV. But, you know, now we really see he's not up for the job. Right. And I thought, that's very interesting for a woman on newscasting to talk about, well, it's good looking. That's why they got the job and, you know, yeah. those kinds of things mm. and, and everything. Sort of a reverse sexism there. Mm -hmm. um, mm. uh, but anyway, so <coughs> at the time, Jackie was doing these things. She was still very much like, this is how I talk on camera, kind of Stepford Wife kind of thing, right? When we did the second Kennedy's one, Caroline had released, right after Jack died, um, Pierre Salinger, who was their press secretary, immediately did a long, long interview with Jackie about what had happened, the, the assassination, what she was thinking going on. And Jackie said, I will do this, but it needs to be sealed for 50 years. Oh, wow. Because of what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to let you know. Wow, geez. What, you know, like she spilled her guts. And um, I think it was the anniversary of her death, Caroline said, I'm going to release some of these tapes. So I immediately got my hands on these things because I thought, now I can hear her just talking. Uh, just talking with somebody she knows really well and to hear what she sounds like that way. So uh, the first one, when I worked with Katie on the first <clears throat> one, we really focused on everything we could find that we, little clips and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then the second one, we listened to a lot of those tapes and Katie also listened a lot and she still had notes from the first one. Um, but like in the first one, Barry and I would spend a lot of time listening to Bobby, watching Bobby to get his inflections and his his pauses and there were a number of in that first one there were a number of of speeches um that bobby did that were lifted right off of you know like either a speech that he did or there was one after martin luther king was killed where bobby was supposed to speak to a group of um, black voters and um they said, we can't, we can't let you go out there right now. And he said, no, I want to talk to them. I want to go speak to them. And he spoke so eloquently and said, you know, uh, we have, there's, I know that a lot of you are angry and you want to commit violence, but I, un you know, I understand. I lost a brother <clears throat> as well to violence, and that's not the answer. And he calmed them down. Wow. And he said, Jeez. you know, we need to focus into positive action and change and all that stuff. So... Yeah, so we really looked at all those kinds of things. We focused on those kinds of things. And and, and Greg at first was going to, he just said, no, I'm fine, I'll just do this on my own. And after a while, like he came up to me one day on set and said, 
How would Jack say Khrushchev? Would he say Khrushchev or Khrushchev or Khrushchev or how? Like, how would he say his name? <laughs> and so I said he would say like this, right? And then, so then a little while later, so if he was doing this, how would you think I should say this or that? Mm. And and because he also saw I was working with Barry and all, so he kind of trusted slowly. So he started working with me too. So we had a lot of fun doing the working on it stuff. And both both of them got Emmy nominations, and and Barry won an Emmy for it. So wow. wicked. Yeah, that must yeah. feel awesome. Yeah, yeah it was great. Yeah. It was so great. Barry was correct. You had to go full Kennedy. Yeah, that's and awesome. I mean all the Kennedy ones that <clears throat> I've done, um, the actors all wanted to do like Jill Hennessy did on Jackie Ethel Jones, uh, Joan. Uh, she also did Jackie and, and was so, she was fantastic too. I don't imagine that any actor would take a role like that if they weren't able to go full or It's pretty, it's or, pretty intimidating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and a, a lot of them are like Jack and Bobby are voices and her too, but specifically Jack and Bobby are people that uh, people remember. There's like people of our generation and stuff. Certainly. We still remember those people. Yeah. And we may not remember exactly, but we still know. But the, the moment we hear it, stuff, we know. And you know, also, that's eh, not that's not right. So, what is yeah. the accent that we're discussing here with the Kennedys? The, they they speak well. It's nicknamed Kennedy esque, but it's it's from a what was called a Brahmin dialect. Boston in that area at one point had something like twenty six distinct accents within the city that's crazy it's it's narrowed down a lot now but the upper class was kind of called a brahmin accent yeah another place you'd hear it is do you remember mash uh, charles emerson winchester yes the absolutely yeah he was that same kind of class upper upper class boston you know they all went to choate and and these different you know schools that that where they sort of cultivated that sort of speech um, and uh, and then just their own resonance and things like that. You know, they had they had that signature sound. Um, and there are little things like a lot of people when they do Jack Kennedy, for example, Jack had this way of saying things like history. He would do the history instead of history, and it's little things <laughs> like that that. You know, people would do the, uh, I know, uh, you know, four score, that sort of thing. But like the history and those sorts of things are the little details that really slip it right in to where to where it needs to be. Is right. that a person is that that's a personal detail, right? As opposed to a <clears throat> learned detail of the community or whatever. Yeah, not not everybody necessarily would do this, you know, yeah, for that yeah. ST sound. And the other thing, the other things, for example, which which there's a there's a guy named Eric Singer who's a really fantastic dialect coach, and he does these wonderful things on YouTube where he'll say, "Let's look at people who are doing idiolects, like uh, somebody playing a boxer, or somebody playing like a, a, somebody who's a known person," and says, "Let's see if they got it and how close they were, and stuff." And I knew sooner or later. <laughs> One of the shows that I'd worked on was going to come, and I he and I saw one one day that said, "Let's look at people who have played presidents." And I thought, "Oh no, here we go!" <laughs> and I was terrified that he was going to throw it out right. But the thing that he pointed out that he thought that I really got right on this show, and what he does is he'll play a clip of the real person, 
and then he'll play the actor. Right. And he goes back and forth and back and forth. And the thing that he was talking about with Jack that he thought Jack got is what we call a hesitation marker. Um, or a, it's, a, it's when somebody's talking and they go, um, uh, right. you know, uh, that kind of thing. It's something, it's a little place marker that says, let me just get my thought together here. I'm still thinking. It's, you know the whole thing about the talking stick in the group? You yeah, get to hold the talking stick. stick and everybody, nobody interrupts, right? So it's, it's sort of saying, I still got the talking stick. I just need, I'm not finished yet, right? Um, and every sort of dialect has its own sort of hesitation marker. Right, you know, the like Canadian saying or, or Canadian what a say, detail. No, a, I love this. right? You always talk about the Canadian A. Yeah. Right? And the Canadian A is used in many different ways. That there was one one of the first shows I was coaching on, the second show I was coaching on, um uh Jeff Daniels was uh, it was it was called um uh Father Goose was the nickname of it. And it's about the guy who lived up in near Port Perry who would fly the ge train the geese how to fly on their migratory routes with ultralights. Yeah. Right? Lishman, Bill Lishman. And um, so Jeff was playing him for this movie. And Jeff said to me, I want to do a Canadian accent. I want to, you know, nail the Canadian accent. He said, the producers don't want it, but I want to do it. And... Um, and so uh, we worked over the weekend to work <coughs> a Canadian accent, and then he did it for the producers on Monday, and they were like, no, 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 you're an American, we're going to use your voice, and we'll have the other, you know, the day players will get to use a Canadian accent. That'll fill it in, right? So um, hmm. one of the guys was watching, um, I won't say who he was, but so he's watching this scene uh, in the house. He's kind of sitting around watching, and he's watching all-star wrestling, on the TV and this actor was from Chicago and had pretty Midwestern kind of Chicago sound and all and so on the screen behind him you see the the wrestler picks this guy up and he walks around and then he throws him on the ground and the actor watching it goes he's going like oh wow oh yeah oh and he picks him up and he drops and he goes ooh eh and the whole crew at the same time goes, like they looked at me like, fix that. That's the, we don't do that. That's, Ooh, eh? You know, and I said to him, Terry, that I said, I know I appreciate you wanted to use an A and give a little nod to the Canadians, but you used it in the one way that we don't use it. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> you know? I have an American friend that used to tease me all the time for saying A. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but a lot. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. I sent him a, a, a letter once, so I addressed it to Mister. His name, called a. a, and he and he got back to me. He says, "You even write it?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's true. Yeah. and and uh, like Americans will say "um," and they'll also say "huh," and the word pretty so, cool, huh? I've never thought about this this uh, hesitation marker. This is a really interesting thing, because people do speak, and as they it's their way of controlling their conversation. They don't want you interrupting. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of sometimes when people say, they, and they go, and uh, what so, because so implies there's more to come. Mm -hmm. So as the listener, I don't interrupt. 
That's right. fascinating. Mm -hmm. And you, I hear a lot of younger people now say, yeah, at the end of something. They'll go, so, um, you know, we went to school and we did this and it was a really good game. Yeah. And that the yeah is like... Hmm. There's uh, more to come. Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, okay, I'm done now. Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. It's, that's a sort of, a, okay. I'm so that's there. a conclusion, though. And it's also a kind of a confirmation of... It, it, to me, it sounds like a self-affirmation. Yes, I'm here. Almost an I, insecurity... It, it could be an insecurity, and it, and it could also just be like, I'm just confirming what I said. Okay. You know, like mm. if you if you see the Irish people, Irish people don't go, um, they go, um, um, oh, well, yeah. town, um and um, yeah, there's five of them, then, you know, they do that, <laughs> um, right? Germans will kind of go, yeah, mm, mm hmm, mm. Or the, at the end, like uh, the part of Germany that my dad is from in the Rhineland near Cologne. They will instead of saying a at the end of things, they'll say n. Oh, and now is that just a, language, uh, or is that because it's a different language? It just it's, spell it different. It, it, um, it, it's like in Quebec when someone will say no at the end of something. Okay. Right. So bonjour, no. Right? Okay. It's like it, it. They're literally saying no. It's like isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, English accent, London accents, you often hear people say, in it. In it, yeah. Yeah. Now, nice can, in it. But they'll also use in it, where it, like, in it is a contraction of isn't it. Right. But they'll use in it just at different times where, where it doesn't make sense to say, isn't it? They'll just go, in it. You know? Well, fit in it, you know, or something like that. I, actually you know, I like that. Saves time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're <clears throat> coaching uh, several actors to uh, to do a a German accent or something, I mean, each one of them has to have their own personality, their <clears throat> own. Uh, you know, like you were saying with the sh, uh, somebody might say listen, listen. Um, do you? If you're not doing um, idiolects, but you're just doing accents, mm -hmm. um, do you ever <clears throat> just pop those in as like I don't throw details? in extra things like that because the, because for for example, you'll hear now a lot um, uh, of people saying street, strong, extra. Like if there's an str word. They make it an S C H or S H T R. Right. He's really strong. And there are some regional accents and ethnic accents which have that in them. But it, often with 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 um, social media, those kinds of things will catch on. Like if if you know when okay. that rock singer came out with a BMW or a Mercedes star on his chain. And the next day, everybody's Benz was having this hood ornament ripped right. off because, or <clears throat> like, whoever came up with the idea of wearing a hat, a baseball hat backwards. Yeah, because you know it just looks silly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's like up until that point, nobody would ever wear a baseball cap backwards. Somebody started that, and sure. everybody wears it backwards, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's the same thing with vocal things. Some famous singer, usually it's a singer uh, or something like that, 
has a speech pattern, whether it's a speech defect, if you want to call it that. Oh, that's interesting. Or, or a speech mannerism. And suddenly, people start picking that up. I mean, you see singers like Adele has this, you know, beautiful voice. And then you start hearing all these other singers who sing like her. Right? Or people try to yeah, adopt that. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Success. Or, yeah. you, or you, like there's a thing that with, I always tease <clears> my daughter when we're in the car and, and somebody sings like this where you have a, a singer and they speak, they sing a song like this, like they're five years old and really. <laughs> I have that album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's a whole bunch of people that sort of sing like, Whoever started that, whoever started that and became famous. Yeah, yeah. I hear this. I hear this all the time. You know, yeah. bo- bo- it just bothers me so much. And yeah. Andrew is a, um, a singer, songwriter, uh, yeah. musician. So he pays right. a lot of attention to that. Yeah, you know, it's that. It's that. You know, right away. Oh, you can classify this. They're a folk singer, and they're a John Denver folk singer, or they're a yeah, you yeah, know, Bella Affleck. Or I mean, Ellie Goulding is an, ama- an amazing singer, and she. I don't know how many people. I'm, I'm assuming it's her that started it, but so many people are emulating the way she sings, and mm-hmm. it's just everybody. You could, you could. Be, oh yeah, this is Ellie. Oh, it's not Ellie Goulding. Wow, another one that's yeah. doing the same friggin' thing. Some of thing. them sound it's interesting, just like them. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then it's a matter of, so if they really sound just like him, then it's a matter of, is the song itself good enough to, you know, like so many people who win the song, the America's favorite singer or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you can't remember their names two months later because they were always doing covers of other people's songs. They didn't have, either they didn't have songs written for them by somebody or yeah. they aren't songwriters. You know, Taylor Swift had the right people helping her so she could totally, totally, you know, I don't know if she writes her own music. Apparently she does. So she writes her own music. But, you know, those singers always have people writing stuff for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and so she had the right combination of every the whole package, as they say. And And if she if she wants to come on the podcast, she can. Yeah. Uh, Come on, Taylor. I. I might have her number somewhere. Um, you know. um, so anyway, yeah. So like what we were talking about, the hesitation marks and those things, different, different. Uh, I mean, even different city accents may have their own hesitation markers and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, this when you, you, got, you got all the Kennedys, each one of them sounds very specifically different, yet they're all from like the same region, you know. Same family. Same family. Same yeah, family. Same family, same region, same everything. Um, and, but then you do a German show, it's not necessarily about one family, but everybody sounds the same. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, well, how it do depends. you unique like, this For example, up? last year or two years ago, we shot uh, a show that, uh, that's the biggest thing I've ever worked on. Uh, I had over a hundred actors that I had to train for wow. accents. Jeez, man. And, and, um, it's a fabulous show called Five Days at Memorial. It's on. Can I tell you which network it's on? You can say anything you it's like. It's on Apple Disney Plus, um, and it's this story. It was from a Pulitzer Prize-winning book uh, by Sher- Dr. Sherry Fink, um, and she looked at after Hurricane Katrina um, the the incident that happened at this hospital where there were a doctor and two nurses were accused of 
and and charged with euthanizing certain patients. Oh, so, I remember this. Yeah. So, um, uh, and the other thing was like the the they couldn't get people evacuated. They didn't have evacuation plans and all this stuff. So it looks at the five days from. It starts with the day the hurricane is supposed to hit, then the hurricane hits, and then we look at the couple of days after the hurricane, when the flood, when the levees broke and the, all that stuff. Hmm. And so, um, so I got a call to, you know, was I interested in this? And I, I almost turned it down because New Orleans is an accent that so often gets done wrong and people down there say that you know they didn't that's not how we talk this isn't right and all that stuff and 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 i i hadn't done newer i'd done a little bit of it but uh, not a lot so i thought okay this is going to take a lot of research and everything and i want to be really accurate hmm. um so we got started on it and and um sherry had tapes from the interviews that she'd had with each of these characters the main characters in the show um now, in that case, because they're not, they're not sort of known people, like the doctor who was the, you know, the oncologist there, is not a known person. So whether we get their accent right or, or the, their speech pattern right or not, True. like if they're nasal <coughs> or if they, you know, if they have a trouble saying something or whatever. No one's going to know. Nobody's going to know, right? But, um, but I, wanna, I always try to make sure that whatever accent I'm doing, that I have some reference that the actor can say, I know that this person is from that place, they've grown up there, they've lived there or whatever, and I know that what I'm doing is accurate to that person. So for somebody saying, no, we don't speak like that, well, this person that I was focused on, that's how they talk. Right, rather than just generically doing like a generic Southern or whatever. Right. So I try to be specific like that, and and um, so for that show, for a lot of those people, I would say, okay, this here's the real person speaking. This is the accent that they use. Like this is how they, like, do they keep the R or not? Do they say work or work, for example, here or here? And then, and then uh, I'd say, okay, so the accent part is that. Now, this person's, that like the person themselves, one of the doctors, for example, had a habit of just going, uh, well, yes, of course, I think this, uh, right? I said, you don't have to go, uh, that's, yeah. that's called fry, vocal fry. That would get really way. annoying yeah. watching a movie. So I said, you don't have to do that, right? <clears throat> but, but in terms of his accent, and what class he is from and where his, his education. This is mm. how he spoke, right? Now, in that hospital, there are lots of doctors, because it's a training hospital too, that come from all over the place. So, you know, we had a couple of actors who said, no, I don't, I don't want to do an accent and all that stuff. And we can talk about that too, of not wanting to do an accent and why somebody who doesn't want to do an accent and pushes back. But, um, so I said, okay, fine you know do you want to have a regional accent like you're from new york and you're visiting or you're studying or you're working here i said the only thing is they've told me they want to make sure you don't sound canadian right so that like big deal in the 80s and 90s when we were doing a lot of movies of the week up here remember those good old mm -hmm. days um 
uh, I was on what was nicknamed Hoser Patrol. I would go on set and and that's really funny. Every, this, this I would up be, another question. Though. Yeah, I'd be working with the leads, and then I would make sure somebody comes on. They have two scenes that day or one scene, and I would go knock on their trailer and say, "Hi, I'm the dialogue coach. I'm John. Uh, can I just hear your lines? Uh, I just want to." And they'd say, "Sure, we're going out and doing this." Uh, and I'd say, "Okay, um, do you, you, <laughs> you, might have just you don't sound like you're from Chicago, right?" So they would often say, and they often do this in the States, let's say the show is set in Chicago. They don't want everybody doing a Chicago accent because they can't afford to have me work with every single person and not everybody has it, right? But they do want uh, Canadian actors up here have to be able to do a general, non-regional American accent, right? So... Um, for a long time, like at, at, at Actor, the, our union, we would hear from producers saying, "We, you know, if you want us to cast Canadian actors, they have to be able to do an American accent, because and and after a while, the producers they know what the key Canadian sounds are. They can spot them a mile away, and they will nail an actor uh, on it. And so that was my part part of my job." was to talk to those people every day before we started and and just let me listen to your lines. Ah, okay, you've got an about about in there or a rate or tomorrow, sorry, dollar, those kind <laughs> of sounds, right? That was my question. So uh, keep, you keep going, but okay. I have a question. Okay. So I would sort of pull those back and move those back, right? Change those a little bit. So we got to a kind of a neutral place. And the, the, the about in particular is one that's, v- for a lot of actors, very tricky because they don't, like they would say to me when I'd knock on their door and say what I'm there for, they say, oh, you're here to make sure I don't say oat in a boat. Yeah. And I'd say, well, you don't say oat in a boat. You say out in a boat. Yeah, and yeah. And I need you to say out and about. And they would go, what, isn't, that, isn't that what I said? <clears throat> Just a second, do that again. Okay. So... What the what happens in Canadian accent, like sort of general Ontario accent, okay. right? It's stronger if you're talking about, you know, up the Ottawa Valley there, up there, Renfrew, and up there, Perth and that area. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's called Canadian raising. And what it is is that the tongue, the back of the tongue is up higher, okay? And the jaw is, is closed a bit more. So you get a kind of a tighter sound. Like the jaw's a little tighter. So when you say right, which is what we call a diphthong, it's two vowel sounds, ah, e, which blend together to make one sound. I, I'm fine. It's a fine night for a fight. Okay. What Canadians do, because it's tighter, you get, it's a fine night for a fight. You hear the difference? Oh, yeah. It's Huge. a fine night for a fight. And watch my mouth. It's a <clears throat> fine night for a fight. It's a fine night for a fight. But yeah. It doesn't move much. Right. Yeah. Right. So you get that. If you watch our favorite premiere, he speaks as if his, you know, he gets that like deer in the headlights grip yeah, in his teeth. Yeah, right. All right, folks. Tonight, we're going to do this. We're going to fix health care. Right? He's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's that tight tightness in the jaw and and the mouth is moving laterally instead of 
vertically. Right. So because the tongue is further back, there's less space for that sound to come out. So it gets a, and the other thing is it becomes a triphthong. It has three sounds. Just before the I, I, there's an uh, uh, I, I. So it slides up. Right? So let's do a little dialect session. So if you say, don't embarrass if you, me. If you no, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a strong Canadian accent first. Okay. <clears throat> so right. if you go ah 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 e e i i right. So you can you can feel the sound going from i i okay. Do it. Try it. I right. Okay. So what happens to your jaw when you do that? I raise it vertically. Yeah. So your jaw goes from fairly open, ah, ah, yeah. ah, closes, right? Do it again, see what you feel your tongue doing. I. It kind of backs up. Yeah, okay. kind of, yeah. It's back there. Can you, can you sense huh. where in your mouth the sounds are, you know, resonating, where they resonate? Uh, and I'll give you a hint. Is it in the front or the back? Here's your GPS, right? I think it starts is up Is it front. the front or the back, or is it high or low? I, well, I, mine starts at the back and comes to the front. I, I think mine starts deeper. Do it, do it really slowly. I, I, yeah, I guess you can. It does start deeper in like the mm -hmm. back, in the neck, and then it starts to make its way sort of. And where is your forward. where is your tongue when you end on the e? Can I just say in my mouth? Yeah, or? just do the e. <laughs> I. It's it's raised in behind my teeth. Mm -hmm. It's almost pressing so, against the bottom so teeth. So what your tongue is doing is going uh, right? Right. So the e the e sound is in for American speech or English speech the e is high, and then the front. It's right sort of behind that little ridge just behind your teeth where your top yeah. of your mouth goes up, right? It's yeah, e yeah. it's up there, right? The holy crap. The ah ah is in the back and open, like you said. That's why the doctor says to you say ah, because it's the vowel that is the, the jaw is the most open, the throat is the most open, so they can see down into your throat. That's why you go ah instead of Mm -hmm. right. You can't see in there, right? Now that's that's fascinating. Despite the fact we just lost half our audience. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. There you go. <laughs> oh, no, I guarantee half people are sitting there going, I. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. That's, no, that's, that's brilliant. Right. So, so when I work with somebody that way, I have to say, okay, so we're gonna relax the jaw, and we're not gonna do the uh in front. We're gonna start that uh. I fine night for a fight. We're gonna relax the jaw, and we're gonna not start with the uh. We're gonna start with an ah ah. <clears throat> so we go I. So we just slide up I I I versus I I I. And the mouth isn't tight. It's not going from I I. It's I I. Like you can see, my mouth can stay pretty open. I. Yeah, I yeah. until right at the end versus I, 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 where it's closed most of the time. And, and that comes from the Scottish and the Irish immigrants that came in and influenced us. 
Oh, it's a fine night for a fight. Well, uh, like a, an East Coast accent from Canada. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, those accents there are strongly from, from the Scots and the Irish, and particularly the Scots, and, and also because they were isolated. They're on <coughs> the island, right? There wasn't... They were they isolated. <coughs> yes, exactly. That's <laughs> it. Good one, right? So it's that kind of thing. Um, so uh, that, that's kind of... Sometimes it comes down to saying, this is how your mouth goes, this is where your mouth is, this is where your tongue goes. And that some people that just freaks them out, and they think that oh, I'm never gonna, you know. Yeah, this it is, is way that's too really technical. detailed. No, it, yeah. it's, it's incredibly intimidating. <laughs> yeah, so it really is. With, with I need to find out when I work with somebody right away, um, is this uh, is that going to work with them or not? Hmm. Now, right. so th okay. that's interesting. Um, we've talked about this before on in the film business. We have to navigate. Uh, multiple personalities throughout any given day um, when you're in a key position. The, um, so you're dealing with a show with 100 actors and you have to deal with each one. Do you deal with them personally, each one? Do you have a class of 20? Or? No, um, in that case, um, so some of them, right, obviously some of them are just they've got two lines or they've got one line. Like we had one character, one actor, who all he had to say was, you can't smoke in here, right? And a lot of times, those those are the ones that are sort of forgotten by production. We don't sure. have time, we can't afford it, this and that. But the more that an audience, especially if it's set in a regional place, the more that an audience hears people who aren't sounding like that place, the more it takes them out of it, right? So... Um, I, now, that guy, I just said to him the day that he got in, as soon as I sent him an email and said, as soon as you come to set, I'm going to talk to you about your line. I made a little voice clip of it and sent it to him, said, here's where you practice. These are oh, the sounds wow. you need. And that's said, and I'll run into you on set. So I just worked with him to say, you know, you can't smoke in here. And so I just said, okay, so let's do that a couple of times. You can't smoke in here. And I said, okay, now <clears throat> say it to me a little more. Quickly, say it to me more slowly. Say it to me like you're upset about saying this. You know, so you can't smoke in here. Or you can't smoke in here. You know, depending upon how. So I said, so tell me how, without the accent, just how do you want to play the line? And he'd say, well, I'm kind of upset. You know, it's a hospital. You can't smoke in here. So, you know, you can't smoke in here. So I said, okay, so let's put the accent in. You can't smoke in here. Right? To find how we do that and and that's the other thing about the the accent in general like for for when people are doing accents there are four basic things that we five but four main things the f the, f the fifth one i talk about is the resonance like we were talking about like the canadian resonance that mm -hmm. kind of up here in the back for versus like uh, um french which is right or like english rp which is like right up here in the front if the resonance for that sound, that accent, is not in the right place, even if you're making the vowels and consonants correctly, it doesn't, something doesn't work. Like it, when I hear an American in Germany trying to say, Guten Tag, wie geht es dir? Right? Instead of Guten Tag, wie geht es dir? 
right? right. The R's are wrong, the, and it's in the wrong place. It's Guten not, Tag, die Seizergier. Yeah. <laughs> which which gear is it? Is that what it is? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it sounded like you were saying, what is the gear? Let's it puts a car in. <laughs> uh, um, so, so the resonance has to be there, Yeah. right? The first thing is it needs to sound authentic. It needs to sound like it's from the place it's supposed to be from. Sure. Okay. Now, if you're doing a London Cockney or a, like Jason Statham, like really East London sort of thing like that, if you really hear those people or, or Scottish people or Yorkshire, for example, as, as English speakers, we would not understand them. We wouldn't know what they were saying because it just, it's just so strong. So the second thing is it needs to be intelligible, right? We need to adjust that accent mm. so it has the characteristics, but that the audience can understand what the line is the actor is saying. Otherwise, it's, they're just going to be, turn on the subtitles, right? Um, the, the third thing is it needs to be consistent. Now, though individual accents have inconsistencies, and things that people do that are not sort of consistent, like you, your Ontario accent is different from your Ontario or, or like, like somebody else's, right? But there are still common sounds that we can tell. You're from Ontario somewhere in here, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the movie, especially like with an idiolect, if we're shooting the last scene on the first day and then at the halfway through the picture we're shooting the first scene when they've had three weeks to work with me or whatever and they're really comfortable with it and the and the end of the movie they don't make sure that that's right let's say they were having some troubles with it. it's going to sound like what happened to his accent right that happens right? all the time I, I, yeah we, we notice yeah. it all the time in film oh yeah because yeah, so when you shoot <clears throat> you know out of order it's right uh, and huh. uh, so the consistency is that we make sure that we try to get that their their level of speech sounding the same throughout the picture, and then uh, and sometimes that varies. For example, that I did a, one of the second film things I did, I was working with Patsy Kensett, who was playing Mia Farrow, and Mia Farrow was raised. She, her father was English. She she had some time. She grew up in England. But she went to school here and stuff. So over the course of her career, her accent changed from English to more and more American. Mm -hmm. Now, and the, and the picture went from, it was called Mia Child of Hollywood. So it looked at her from being very young to, you know, marrying Frank Sinatra, then marrying Woody Allen and all that stuff. So I said to the producers, and Patsy Kensett, an English actress, was playing Mia. So I said, you know, it would be accurate for us to adapt your accent as she got older, but for the audience, they're going to be going, how, she, how come her accent sounds different? Oh, that's right? interesting. Huh. So that's something we just decided, <coughs> you know what, that's going to confuse people. It's going to throw people off. They may think Patsy lost her accent or Patsy right. couldn't get the accent, right? So, so we just decided to find a place where it was close to the so media like the that most of mode. us know. Right. And, and that, and, Okay. Go consistently that way. Oh, so sometimes you brilliant. make those decisions, right? Now, are um, you doing this um, line per line, or are you attempting like to get these actors to be able to improvise, like the, right off their feet? F first, first we work on 
just what the accent is, what like what the sounds are and everything of that accent. Right? Okay. 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 And then um, once they are sort of comfortable with that and have that, and, and, and this has to vary too. Some actors learn differently. Some actors learn just by hearing it and just repeating it and repeating it. Some actors um, want really detailed. Yeah, you'd think you'd, you know, almost like a theory, like a musical theory or something. Yeah. I can hear the music. I can yeah. tell sort of what chord they might be playing, but I want to know um, why. Yeah. You know? So you may have a blues song that you're doing in a Delta blues or whatever, mm-hmm. but but you may say for, for, for your character who's playing the Delta blues, you may have a certain way that you that you use the vibrato or a certain totally. finger technique, right? Absolutely. So it it's your signature Delta Blues sound. You see what I mean? You know yeah. what I mean, right? Yeah. So um, uh, so that's part of the the thing in the accent with the consistency. Now, and the last thing, the number four thing of those hmm. things are authenticity, intelligibility. Cons- uh, consistency. The last one is, and this is the most important one, that the accent does not interfere with the performer's performance. Right? We don't want it to be okay. about the accent. Yeah. This is something that producers are saying. You know, we don't want this to be a show about accents. We don't want this to be all about the yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. Right? For sure. Of course not. And I don't want it to be about that either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's about um, making sure that the performance comes through and and that's the tricky thing because a lot of times we have very little time to work with these people before they have to I was going to ask that you know and um so that's it and and also it, it's like uh I mean you've seen this if you have to if an actor has to do a stunt they just say you know he's got to do something we in you know, like a fight or something like that and we've got to see like we've got to see them shoot that gun Right. Like it's a story, it's a plot it's, point. It's, when it has it, to well, happen. it's something that you can't have a stunt person in there because it's a yep. close-up and we see their face totally, right? Right. shooting it. So they say, okay, we, just for this one thing, we need to see you shoot the gun. Mm-hmm. So, And if you have um, an actor who is gun-shy, who, you know, you, you get the actor kind of, like you can tell that they... They, they're just, they're, it freaks there's them out. There's a flinch. They, there's a flinch or there's a, you know, like that. That Then you have to find a way to work with them to get around them. You may say, we're not going to actually have a blank in there. We'll do it later or we'll use an electric gun or whatever. Yeah. So that isn't there, right? And, and then you have to figure out how do we do the kickback and all that stuff. Right? Sure. So it's similar to the, with the accent thing is sometimes you get an actor who like if I had to, t- if you're playing a tap dancer who's tap danced his whole life, but you don't know how to dance, and so I can start teaching you how to dance and do the tap dances routines we're going to do, but I discover you don't have a sense of rhythm, we're screwed. Right. Because no matter, like there's this, there's a line in um, all that jazz when Roy Scheider, uh, <coughs> is playing Bob Fosse, says to this actor, this dancer in the show. Look, you're not a great dancer. I can make you a better dancer, but I can't make you a great dancer. That's a great line. And and it's like James it's, Franco in that movie we watched yeah. on TV series. So it's, it wasn't a great dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so so 
uh, with accents, sometimes you get somebody who you can say about and you say, okay, we're going to go to about and they'll go about. Yeah, I, I got it. Yeah. And you go, um, no, you let's don't. try it again. Right. And they they really can't hear the difference. They can't tell the difference between I and I. So then it's tricky. Then it's like. Do you find people yeah. with a good musical ear? Are, are that helps. At, yeah. That now, helps. you mentioned something earlier about pushback where actors don't want to do this. Um, is it a self-conscious thing? Is it like the 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 first confidence issue? The first coaching job I ever got was an actor like that. So, um, I I my agent had gotten a scene on a breakdown that they needed a dialect coach to do a midwestern accent, and she said, John, you've you know you've taught some voice in college, right? I said, yeah, and you and you're teaching at the school, right? I said, well, I'm teaching stage combat. She said, but, but you can teach people things, right? Yeah, okay. I'm going to put you up for this job because you're from Iowa. You're a Midwestern accent. You're mid, you know a Midwestern accent. So I'm going to put you up for this. So I went in for this job, and uh, I knew from mm -hmm. the minute I walked in the door, there's no way I'm going to get it because all the director was talking about is, who have you worked with that I would know? Ah. Oh, God. And okay. I said, isn't it more like, can I get your actor to sound like he's from Kansas? Yeah. <laughs> and I knew there's no way I'm going to get it, right? So I didn't, you know. But there was a producer in the room who was kind of watching, and he kind of winked at me, and I was like, okay, fine. And he took my resume and handed it to the producer down the hall who he knew was looking for a dialect coach. So I go to talk to that guy, and this guy says to me, uh, our actor's from New Zealand. What sounds would he need to change in order to sound like he's a Harvard professor? All of them. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so I said, okay, at least this guy has an idea yeah, of what I have to do. Mm -hmm. so, he's, so the actor was Sam Neill. Okay. So he said, Sam doesn't want to do an accent. He is pushing and fighting us on this. He doesn't want to do an accent. Uh, but I think you can do this. So you go meet with him. And if he likes you and calls me back and says, we're okay, you got the job. Okay. Wow, weird. So I went to the Sutton place back then, right? And um, I met Sam. And he had said to me, I don't want to do this because if I can use my own accent and my own voice, I can give a great performance. But if I have this filter in everything I say of an accent that some part of my brain isn't believing it certainly is, is more is, is remembering it has to do that yeah then i can give a really good performance but i cannot guarantee a great performance and you know you talked about and so I've, i said well let's work a little bit on it and see how you feel and what we can do and and then it's you and the producer talk and see what you're going to do um you know it's like this isn't my I, you know i'm I'm just, this is my first time doing this. <laughs> so if I don't get it, I'll just keep doing what I was doing, right? Um, so he, he called the producer and said he's okay. So I started working with him on that film. And while we were shooting that film, it's a, it's a movie called, a miniseries called Family Pictures. And Angelica Houston was in it, and Dermot Mulroney and Kira Sedgwick. He's married to Kevin Bacon. Mm -hmm. So now you're, because I met Kevin Bacon on the set, so now you're one degree separated from Kevin Bacon. 
Yeah, baby. <laughs> we can play that game later. Yeah. So, um, uh, so while he was doing that, he got Jurassic Park. So the producer said, we want Sam to be happy. So would you work with him on Jurassic Park? I said, sure, Steven Spielberg, yeah. Gee. And so uh, Sam said to me, I don't know how to say all these dinosaur names, so we need to find that out, right? So I called the ROM up and I said, I'm working with, uh, on, um, can I talk to your paleontologists? And they were like, okay, what's this concerning? And uh, I said, well, it's for a film and all this. So they put me through the paleontology department. And I said, I need to know how to say dinosaur names. And they were like, well, um, you know, that's not, I said, I'm working on the film Jurassic Park. Oh, come on down. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> they really? were so oh, excited. Yeah. They're, so they're showing me how to splice, how they splice DNA. And they took me in this warehouse room down there and said, what do you think this is? And he tosses me, this, and it's the dinosaur egg. Right. And it's, it's, how old is it? 20 million years. Okay, okay, put it, take it back. Take it, you know. Yeah, priceless. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all that stuff. Um, so one guy would say, oh, this is called a diplodocus. And then the other guy would say, no, 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 no. It's a diplodocus. Uh-oh. Well, he was from England and he was from America. So, right. you know. Okay. Uh, like, is it a, you know, stegosaurus or stegosaurus or what? You know, like, right. so they were throwing all this around. Huh. So we did that. So. I prepped him for that, and I said, and so at the end of the picture, he says, now look, um, I've spoken to Stephen and said, you know, I've got a guy I'm working with here, we're getting along well, I really like him, and, and we've, been, we've prepped everything, we're ready to go. And he said, Stephen says he's got his own, he's got his own coach. So um, uh, unfortunately, he won't let me bring you down. But I said to him, if, if it doesn't work out, can I bring my guy down? And they said, well, well, we'll see, we'll see. And Sam was a guy who, from the beginning, uh, I understood. He does not want you to bring out a chart and show you this and that, and here's what you do with your tongue and all that stuff. Um, so we, we got our own way of working. And so off he went. And um, uh, he told me later that uh, the, the, the person that he originally met to work with them had charts or whatever and said they were gone by lunchtime and they <laughs> and so they they <coughs> shot the first scene where he's listening to the triceratops and oh yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah yeah right and he sort of talks a little bit and then he said to Stephen, so what do you think is the accent okay was going to you know do this or that and he said i like it. it's fine let's just keep that so i didn't get to go oh, down we we're just going to go as what it was but God bless Sam. He when he came back for another movie, he called me up and said, "Okay, let's uh, let's do this." So I've wow. done four things Correct. with him, and and <coughs> and there was a, a day where he was in the hotel bar having a drink after work, and um, uh, Gabriel Byrne was there working on a movie. So Gabriel had to do uh, a New York accent. So I get this phone message our favorite phone message ever. And it's, hello, this is Gabriel Byrne. Uh, Sam gave me your name. Um, as you can tell, I've got a real New York accent. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why, but they want me to have somebody work with my New York accent. So can you help me out? <laughs> <That's great. laughs> you know? 
So I so I went over and worked with him. And so it just it just started that way. Then I started getting calls from producers that said, I heard you worked with so and so and I talked to him and he liked you and this and that and then so it, like I never planned to do that. It just started going. So I wow. just you know, I keep reading, I study, I practice, I you know How how many in America, how many accents are there? In just America alone, do we? I, I, I don't know. That's like thousands. So yeah, yeah, that's insane. You yeah. personally can't know them all. No, of I mean, course not. I mean, worldwide. So when you do get one, uh, a specific one, perhaps one that you've never done before, you have the well, background like, to do like, the research. So like, yeah, with, with the New Orleans thing. So I started researching New Orleans, and New Orleans has a number of different sort of accents, like down to the neighborhood. Yeah, and so I was figuring out where is this person from, where is that person <clears throat> from, and if I had the time to to do that or f hone in on it, I did that, uh, and and would do do that, and then um, uh, New Orleanians are often mistaken for people from Brooklyn because there are sounds like they'll say half an hour, right, and you'd think they're New Yorkers. Okay, um, and that right, which is the the thing that if people just do a southern accent, the New Orleanians say we don't talk like that, because we don't sound like your average southerner. They have a different sound, and that. So, with as much as I could, I would do that. I did something I usually don't do: is I I called a dialect coach in New Orleans, who turned out to be from Wisconsin, <laughs> and <laughs> and said. Can you, you know, do you have any tips or resources about the New Orleanian accent for these characters and this and this and this? And she, she sent me some stuff and was really helpful in talking it's to nice. me about it and all that stuff. And, and um, so that, that helped because I had all these people over the course of the shoot that I had to, like, make sure I made contact while I was still working on set with, with my other people. And, like, there we had... We had leads that we had a couple of people from Tennessee. We had a couple of people from, from Kentucky that we then had to shift and tweak a little bit from Kentucky and get a little further south. And, and yeah, that, that must, you know. man. That we had people from crazy. Baton Rouge. We had people from, um, you know, like National Guardsmen. So I said, okay, <coughs> National Guard people are from all over the state. So we could have people. So if you're having trouble with this part of an accent, let's put you from here. Can you do that one? Does this sound okay for you? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. okay. Okay, you're a National Guardsman who happens to be from this part of the state who's down here. Nobody knows that, but you know that. So, And also we looked at, like, um, you know how military people have a certain f way of speaking. They have a certain kind of vernacular and a certain posture and everything. It's like when you listen to a police officer, they go into that, you know, we have a perpetrator or a suspect right. that we've apprehended. And okay. We, you know, they, they use that certain kind of impersonal cop speak. Yeah. yeah. Right? So we looked at finding that in the military guys. So they had that kind of a, so you just get that sense that this is the soldier uh, and that sort of thing. I, I'm huh. getting a sense, if I have my producer cap on, why you would not have John on set every day. Like, you know, I, it's I don't expensive. Know, it's, yeah. I don't, yeah. expensive. I hope yeah. you're getting paid you know, big bucks for this. Massive. Mean, 
but it doesn't matter. There's so many other things in a film that you could save your cash on. This is incredibly smart to have you it, there. It, well, it's it, the the thing is, I'm working with the producer or, or the, with the with the actor right on something that is so close to the performance that that if it's not right or if it's not believable, right. I mean, just put it that way, in terms of right, <clears throat> if it's not believable, and that's even, even if we're, like, look at Fargo, you know, where it's kind of a little slightly sure. heightened. Um, for example, if it's not heightened within a believable accent for that, it doesn't quite work, right? right? Um, so, uh, um, and also... If the actor isn't at the point where they don't have to think about it all the time, right? Then it'll show, and it's hard to hide, you know. I mean, and the other thing is sometimes they don't want me on set every day. Like they'll they'll say we just have the budget to have you prep the actor, and that. Or sometimes you'll have directors who say I don't want to coach because that's somebody who's interfering with me talking to the actor. And, and they're talking and, and they're focused on the accent and that may get in the way of the performance, you know. Yeah, it's that thing of I don't want the accent overruling this, like the, the performance. Thing. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about like Brad Pitt and Snatch. Mm -hmm. I mean, he went really far with that accent. Yeah. Um, what kind of effort I mean, needs it, to be put in for something see, like that? See, it depends on, it, like that was a kind of a heightened you know, yeah, that was very extravagant. Yeah. And and there are certain ones where they kind of go over the top like that, right? Yeah. Now, the, the other thing, too, that, that um, like you're talking about German accents before, right? Um, you look at Christoph Waltz in... Um, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, Great. you know, like unbelievable yeah. performance there. Yeah. Um, but though many people recognize that as the German accent... It's not a Hogan's Heroes German accent, right. right? When you people talk about, like, a lot of people, if they have to do an English accent, will say, no, I'm good, I'm good. And their English accent is a Monty Python English accent. You yeah. Know, that's sort of super <clears throat> English. Yeah, for comedic effect. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's often that like German pe people doing German accents are often going this that those. That's how I do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a very small area of Germany where they use a this instead of well. A that's where he's dis. playing. He's from. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know the the very knock knock joke. Knock knock. Who's there? I will ask the questions. Ah. <laughs> Right. That, so that's the kind of <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> that that's the kind of of uh, sort of over the top. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, you do have like for French, like you do have a Jacques Cousteau sort of, you know, uh, Falco is sitting calmly on the bottom of the sea. That's you know really strong. There are people who speak that way. Sorry, right? I love this. But that's the, great. But for for German accent, like the Hogan's Heroes German accents that we heard are comedic accents. Right. There are, and Germany, like 
my mother could tell you practically what side of the street you grew up in which city in Switzerland because she was so attuned wow. to language. Right. She spoke five languages, so she was really attuned to that sort of a thing. Mm. And so in general, for example, one of the things I look at at an accent is is one of the two things that I often look at. What do people do with the R sound, and what do they do with the TH? Because many accents in many languages don't have a TH in them, right? German does not have a th think or this and okay french doesn't either hmm. right if you if somebody's name is t-h-e-o they don't call him theo they call him theo so that goes back to that joke about the ship calling the coast guard yeah oh the the, the burlitz yeah we're sinking yeah sinking but what are you sinking about <laughs> yeah. uh. and then burlitz comes <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah. a great joke. yeah uh so um uh yeah, so that that's one of those things of, is this a stereotypical accent? So, for example, with the THs, most uh, people who are learning to speak English uh, have difficulty with the TH if it's not in their language. Hmm. So Germans okay. or French people will often, for a voiced, so the thing is, with the TH, you have two THs. You have a voiced TH, this, that, and you have an unvoiced TH think three right okay so that sound i don't is, even think i ever thought about that in my life yeah, i've that, never thought of any of this yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's like a t and a d they are made in the same place d t right the tongue behind the teeth and it releases the air and the air coming out makes that that sound so if i use my voice i get d d if I don't use my voice, my vocal folds here, vocal cords, and make the noise, then you just get th, th, th. Right. Okay? So all of those sounds are voiced or unvoiced. The difference, too, since we're talking technically here, we have vowels and consonants, right? Right. A vowel is a sound which is made as the air gets, we have a pulmonic speech. The, the air from the lungs comes out through the throat, and as it passes through the larynx, the vocal folds, people call them vocal cords, but they're actually, the technically is vocal folds, right? They're these two little sort of membranes that come across and they vibrate as the air goes through. And, and by opening and closing them, it changes the pitch and all that. So when we, <coughs> if we, if we do a vowel sound, that means that it goes through there, that creates a sound like plucking the guitar string, the vibration makes the sound, right? And as it comes out, the articulators, the tongue, the teeth, and how our jaw is and our lips, shape that sound. Sure. So a vowel is a sound where the air coming out is not restricted or constricted, right? Even if, if it, whether you go e, ah, ah, o, u, ah, right. it's still a, the sound is coming out purely and I'm shaping it right? A consonant is when the air comes out and the air is sometime, somehow obstructed, right? So if I have a s or a k or a g, right? The, what happens is the airflow that comes out, if I go sh, I'm closing 
the space between the tongue and the top of the mouth. So that air has turbulence. It starts, you know, swirling around, and that's what makes the shh sound, right? So the air is some, or if I make it t, t, my tongue goes up to my teeth and blocks the air from coming out. Yeah. And when I pull that, I release the air, t, and it comes out. And if I release it with voice, t becomes d. Okay. So that's that's how we we make sound wow. in our language. Jesus. We either use our voice or we don't use our voice, and we either impede the airflow or we don't impede, yes. or we do impede the airflow. We do or do not impede the airflow. Okay. And so, so some languages don't have a the. So people will, as they're learning English, if they're having a hard time with the the the, they will go to something that sounds as close as they can. So if it's a voiced Th like the, they will go z, z, right, z right. those, or um, they will do d, this that those, <clears throat> those guys, this that and the other, right? <laughs> or they will they will go to um, a t right like t, yeah, that's think, true. Think yeah. about it. Right. Or Irish will say, instead of think, they'll say tink. Instead of I'll three, they'll say tree. Right? And, and mm. um, the, or they'll do an S. Think about it. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. It and is. see, like Arnold, too, when you talk about Arnold, Arnold is Austrian versus German. So they have a slight, their resonance is slightly different. It has a kind of more, you know, it's back there more. So he's, you know, that's that perfect. sort of, okay. come on, stop whining, you know. Okay, speaking of Arnold, let's get, I want to talk about some fighting. Um, as a stunt coordinator, I get resumes all the time from stunt people that uh, have, um, um, I, I don't know, fight training. Um, yeah, or they're, I've stage. got a black belt or I've got a stage. No, no, or that's, whatever. Yeah. that's a given, but the, um, the, the stage fighting thing, right? Mm -hmm. So... You're a fight master in that. Um, I'm a fight director. You're a fight I'm, director. Within like <clears throat> fight directors, Canada or something, they right. have different things. They have I'm levels, not a fight yeah. master. That's one they confer upon you, but I'm a fight director. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's one of the things I get from people. I'm level one or level two. Or yeah, level yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they tell right. me this. And, um, as, a, as a film guy, I go, I don't care. Sure. I know. I know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We've talked about this. If, if, tell, me, tell me a little bit about that. Like about... Fighting for stage, the, the, the differences. The in difference what have you. between that and, and what you guys do is that is that you step. I mean, you will train an actor to do a stunt if they have to do that. Mm -hmm. But generally, you step in and do the action in place of the actor. Yes, in right? a lot of cases, that's correct. Yeah, because we're you know we're shooting a movie. It's driving a car, riding a horse, or all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can, there are ways we can do that. So we don't know that it's Randy driving the car. We think it's the actor, right? right? But when you're on stage and yeah. the audience is sitting there and the actor's on stage, you can't you, run in you, a stunt. You can't double. have a stunt person run in and do it. So that's the difference. Primarily is that is that I have to teach the actor who is playing that part how to look like he's comfortable with a sword. Right. in his hand or whatever and and I you know learn okay what is the way that 
they handled the rapier versus a small sword or a broadsword and those things. And that's changed a lot over time too. We have so much more training now and, and manuscripts that have been found and stuff where people have said, well, you know, like there's a, you can look on YouTube about people always imagine that somebody in a suit of armor couldn't do a somersault or couldn't roll up that they were, you know, like this. And you'll see guys who take authentic armor or a reproduction of authentic armor and go running down the street and jump over a thing and do a roll and all that stuff and say, no, these guys could move in this kind of armor for this sort of a soldier. They could move very easily. Interesting. You know, and what changed over time was that, you know, the, the, the maces and the broadswords, you were bashing somebody or you were going at a joint you're finding the joints you know like the samurai did that too mm -hmm. find the joints and stuff well then as this as they transitioned into rapiers where the rapier the big thing with the rapier was the thrust for stabbing for stabbing right <clears throat> so at first because they were long they also had a dagger but eventually so you get the the thrusting rapier so now you needed to be able to move out of the way. <laughs> so and also the fashion of clothing was that you would have, you know, like tights on your legs and sort of a poofy part here. That's or what you wear most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, at home. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, so they would they would develop a technique where they had more cutting and slashing and and they would have lighter armor so they could move more and they you know, it wasn't being bashed, it was just glancing off. And then eventually with small sword was like using a laser. It was just that really end part of it. So it wasn't a slashing weapon. It was a like purely poking. And then it was all about like getting your body so there's a, as little target presented sure. as possible. Sure. And that, so and and also their movements, like they, they would teach when they had to had soldiers come in for, for a war, they would have dances that would use the steps of the fencing in order to teach them that stuff. Um, so there's historical changes like that. And speaking of historical, mm. though, when you do a play um, and you're going to choreograph a fight, a sword fight or whatever, yep. it, it, I guess it goes to the period as well, right? So if you're wearing this type of if like if if, if they're at Stratford, story. like when I was at Stratford, we were doing Hamlet, we were doing an Elizabethan clothing, and we were using rapier and rapiers, so um, we used the techniques as close as we could to that sort of period. Right. Right. If you're like you know I have friends who have choreographed ones where you're doing Hamlet, but it's set in Los Angeles in nineteen you know, 2000 or something. So, so they're, they're using guns. They may be using switchblades or, right. or um, you know, whatever. West Side Story. Yeah, I have people who have used lawnmower blades in fights or, or sure. apocalypse now. Now, you do, know, you guys, do you guys, when hmm. you do that, like I've never, I don't do stage work. Mm -hmm. um, I can only imagine that you create this fight. You choreograph the fight between the actors and then you bring them in and you do rehearsals um, so that, each actor knows exactly where the point of the other guy's rapier is at any given time. I mean, are there techniques where you can actually improvise a fight on stage where I know you come in this direction? Yeah, usually they don't. Good. Um, uh, it's, uh, um, the, the trick is when you're doing a long season, 
and you're doing that show, you know, like four, Over 300 performances. Yeah. To the actors, it starts to get stale after a while because it's so. Yeah. yeah. And that's when it's dangerous because somebody decides, I, I'm going to jack this up again a little bit and right. they come a little harder and stuff. Um, the, the other thing that the stage actor has to do is make the sound. We call it the nap, right? So if you're punching, somebody has to go. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, or if they're slapping somebody, the audience knows there's got to be a sound in there somewhere. So, and we've, you know, like, you always get an actor who says, I'm saying, man, it's got to be real. <laughs> I like, I really. Yeah, we work uh, with it, those only, guys. it only works if I really slap them. Right. Like, you don't often get the other guy saying, or the other guy goes, no, I can take it. Go ahead and slap me. Yeah, this needs to yeah. be real. I so need to be slapped. Make right? sure. Yeah. So um, I said, so if you have to slap Meryl Streep, yeah. right? So here's the place you're going to slap her. If if a finger goes up here or shows breaks over. her nose 100%. or hits her ear or down here or here, it, it you know, it could change her career if her nose suddenly is you know or whatever oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. and like for a f film and like in stage you have an understudy who comes in and pops in right while you heal but for film it means that person we can't shoot them for a little while or we have to put makeup to cover whatever mm -hmm. right um so so for that like for slaps and the slap always comes at a point where a slap is often a kind of a it's an exclamation point. Yeah, it's like smarten up, wake up, right? So if you have a slap that's like, yeah, no kidding. Know, yeah. It, it's like it, it, everything gets heightened. It's up and then, you know. So hmm. I'll often say, well, I'll say to a director sometime if they if they're the one who's, or I'll say to the actor, okay, the safe place to hit's about the size of a loony or toonie. Every night for four hundred nights. You're going to come and you're going to get hit by that actress that's taken the hit in the face to just make sure she can hit you accurately for 400 times in a row, right? It's <laughs> a great way to talk them out because, of it. Because what happens is, so one night, <clears throat> one night, let's say, the slap comes a little high mm -hmm. and it hits the nose. So for the next part of the scene she's kind of and she's you know she's thinking am i is my nose bleeding or whatever yeah right so the next so she says that <clears> night <throat> to the guy hey, you hit me a little hard in the nose oh i'm so sorry guy you know you know whatever so the next night there's nothing she she <clears throat> she's she flinching either tightens up and right. really hits it or she flinches and goes to here and now he's got her in the ear totally so then it's like hey You've twice now, you know, so now you've got two colleagues who are supposed to be helping each other and protecting each other at each other's throats. Right. Or at least, you know, upset with each other. Whereas if you have a stage fight where either, you know, you make the sound or or they make the sound and when the slap comes um, and you do it and you and you put it in such a way that most hopefully everybody but most of the audience can't see that hand making that sound as right. it comes by um then the actors are free to just you know and yeah. really do that 
It's interesting because on, in an audience, <clears throat> in, in a theater, you're on stage and you have an audience that's spread whatever width across the auditorium. And you have to somehow mask that and create that illusion where in film, we just point the damn camera <laughs> and I'll put you wherever I want you and sell this sucker. Well, yeah. that's the thing, yeah. In, in, in film, the, the director can put the can show the audience, this is what's important. I this direct is what, what I, you need to see, Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, you, you can't watch what the other person in the scene over there is doing unless it's a wide shot or whatever. Totally. Right? And, and on, on stage, people can look wherever they want. Right. And the, the difference, like, if you go to Stratford and you go to the Avon Theater where it's a proscenium arch, right, where you, you're looking at the stage, if you go to the festival stage, it has a thrust that comes out into the house, so the audience is about to hear. Ah, interesting. So somebody over here can look, ah. is, right? So There's a challenge. So the directors have to move the actors around so they're not doing the whole scene with their back to this part of the house. Yeah, and, and that's sometimes they'll, they'll put their body this way, but they'll put the put their, voice that way, the yeah, face yeah, that yeah. way, and they can move that. And then you go to the Tom Patterson Theater, which comes all the way out like that, where the audience is almost all the way around. I haven't been in the new one, but sometimes they're all the way around. There, you, how am I going to hide this? Does it not so, become an incredibly unnatural blocking? It can. It can be. And, and you have to... I suppose you have that's to the beauty of a, of, you, of a theater director. Well, you have, to, you have to practice it with the actors to the point where... The, you know, if if you if you're let's say you're doing a slap where where you've got it you've decided the way I'm going to hide this, because let's say the other actor has their hands down, it's a dad and he's saying I don't want you to take my car out anymore and you, and you look at me when I'm talking you know that yeah. kind of a thing, so he's going to backhand, right? So one thing you can do is he let's say he puts his hand up and he and he and he comes from he just passes this and does that as he goes through if the if when this happens and he drops that out of the way and the audience follows the hand up through and watches the other reaction you 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 tell the audience where to look now so they don't see this well if, if you sure. go and <laughs> that stays they see they know where it came from right right yeah, the audience yeah. will, the yeah. eye will go to the movement yeah yeah it's the same thing you guys do on in the film where you know <clears throat> as as long as the the plane is broken that's correct when that comes right yep. so if you know if you're if you're on a motorcycle and you're getting clotheslined by something you know when you have them on a cable and a and the, yep, really the cable is 10 feet long and the thing they hit is 15 or 12 feet away or whatever right and you shoot it right so the timing is right there. On stage, you try to do that too, only depending upon, you know, where. It's more of a magic, at. more of like a sleight of hand type of. It, uh, yeah, there's thing. a lot of sleight of hand because we've got to make that sound, and that and and the other things too are, like for me, it's really important in a, in a stage fight that the the breathing and the and the and that you carry the wound, that if if you're like it drives me crazy when I see somebody who they they've just had a sword across the hamstring and they do this, 
and the person goes, ah, and then they stand up, and the next move is a lunge. Totally. I go, wait, well, I'm sorry. What are you lunging onto? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, we're used to seeing the the Asian martial arts where, you know, they're getting hit 50 times, and they're jumping up and spinning around and crashing together. And, and the style of that movie lets you suspend your disbelief knowing nobody could handle all that. If the movie is that style. Right, right. But, but they make movies now where guys get punched 30 times yeah. and they're still coming back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And nobody's I mean, tired. You know, so yeah, some of that is like one of the first films, <clears throat> the two films that, well, three films that I saw with sword stuff that I thought were really wonderful about that. One was Robin and Marion with um, uh, uh, um, James Bond, the first James Bond, um, Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery. Right. Um, and Robert Shaw playing the sheriff of Nottingham. And so they've got these broadswords, and they finally, as they're older, when they're older, they start this fight. And so they're slashing away with these big broadswords. And it's one of the first times where you, they, you know, that sometimes they actually stop and they're like, hang on, give me a sec, because they're both older, right? They, okay, okay, you ready? Okay, here we go again, right? And then they go and, and all that stuff. And you sort of see the effort it takes to do that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Versus, like, uh, there are a lot of things where they use an aluminum broadsword. It's like, you know, you'd have to be built like Arnold to whip that blade around like that. And and the 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 other one is the the first, uh, the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers with with um, Robert York and Richard Chamberlain and those guys that um, was really wonderful fun. Um, sword play, but but Bill Hobbs directed that really believable, wonderful sword work with, you know, and also you get the the like one of them, Armas is older, so he's Oliver Reed played him, and it was like, okay, okay, okay I'll give you a fight, and 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 he was just super efficient. He would only move when it was an actual threat. There wasn't any. You know, right. it was like tink, you know, just redirect it and waiting for the, the opening, right? And then the other one is the duelists, Ridley Scott, Keith Carradine, and um, Harvey Keitel. It's these two guys who, through the Napoleonic Wars and like over a course of like 25 years, every time they're nearby, they have a fight. And it's because the, the, the original thing when you were dueling, was, uh, you know, it was uh, an insult, and I demand satisfaction, right? right. And there were different degrees of satisfaction. We could go to first blood. We could, just a little cut, okay, taught you a lesson. You do that again, and I'm going to go to the next level, which is to really, like, slice you so you can't keep going, and then the next level is to the death. Right. So... Um, he just never is satisfied. He just never says, okay, I'm satisfied. So it means they have to meet Keep again. Doing it. <laughs> and you see them go from uh, uh, sabers on horseback where they're charging past each other. You see, you see them go to um, uh, um, still a saber, but, uh, but not as curved a saber as the Hussars had, right? And, there's a fight that the two of them have in this grotto underground 
um, where you just see them through this thing. They are absolutely exhausted and swinging these things around and everything. And it, it shows you the, the, the reality, the reality, the strain on it. You know, for, for me, I would much rather, I prefer fights that, that show that, 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 that yeah. show how tiring and exhausting it is and how it, you know, if you, if you get bang your hand against the hill, that really hurts, you know? And also that, like, I'm influenced a lot by the Jap Kurosawa movies with Toshiro Mufuni, all mm -hmm. those beautiful samurai films where the idea was one cut, you know, one life. And there's so many times where they, 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 take, they take their guard and they watch the other guy. And then maybe he goes over here and, okay, well, he's doing that one. So, okay, I'm going to do this one. And they and the tension builds and builds and builds until finally <laughs> they go. And like in one watching, move. Yeah, like watching cats, you yeah, know, get yeah. ready to fight. Um, oh, and, and even if it's more, um, I, I more enjoy the ones where, so after that first pass, they come apart. Now I go, okay, this guy, this guy's really strong, or he's really fast, or well, I've never seen that move, right? Like um, one of the guys that I was my mentor, who's also our patron for the Fight Directors Canada, was Patty Crean, who was the he was the fight director and the double for Errol Flynn in all the old movies, the pirate movies, and all that stuff. And he would he would always say that um you know like if you've got hamlet when he fights laertes hamlet goes to school in wittenberg in germany laertes goes to school in a different place so when they have their duel at the end and they come out to fight one of the things patty used to like to do was he'd say so if if hamlet is wittenberg he's more of a back sword like hanging the sword this way and Laertes comes out like this, more French school, right? So he says, suddenly you've got a chance for Hamlet to go. He comes on guard here, and Laertes comes here, and Hamlet's like, oh, this is, this is interesting. Yeah, right? I've never seen this now, before. Now, Laertes has a poisoned sword, and his, he's, this is supposed to be this friendly little fighting thing. Joust is this friendly little sword fight, sport thing. But Laertes knows I'm. I got to try and kill him. I got to get this poison onto him, and the poison is such that just a scratch is enough to kill him. That's all I need to do. I will avenge him, killing my father, and my my sister. Hamlet is there. Like, I don't know why we're doing this, but the king wants it. Mm -hmm. You know, and he says before the fight to Laertes, I need to apologize to you. I'm so sorry about your father and your, your, your sister. He says, it, it's like I shot my arrow over the roof and I hit him and I apologize. So when he's done that to him, now Laertes has the thing of, he's apologized to me. He's, ah. you know, I've oh. also got that on me. How can I kill this guy now after he's sincerely apologized, right? So there's all these things going on. So they start fighting. So Patty would say, so they do the first t -t 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 thing, and there's a, there's a hit, right? And so before the next one goes, they they he says, what if Hamlet says, that's 
kind of interesting that stuff so i'm going to try and come on your mm. style now if laertes goes oh now you're making fun of me <laughs> i know you're a german that. style fighter so now you're making fun of me great great thank you very much right and and then they have the second one and there's nothing neither way now uh, J.P. Fournier choreographed the fights that we were at there and, 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 and we were using some of Patty's choreography. So the question then is, is that second little interaction, is it a long one? Is it and moves around and stuff? Or is it like nothing, you know? Okay. So, you know, every fight is a story. As you know, every... You know, every move is like a line of dialogue. <clears throat> Absolutely. The, yeah. But the design of the fight should come from story. You should, I mean, it, you should never create a fight for the fight itself, despite the, despite the fact there's a lot of movies out sure, there that, that do that. Sure, that happens a lot, yeah. Totally. Uh, but, and, and like, I agree that because they come from two different geographical areas, they would have learned to fight differently, and that's the way it should be. A lot of movies have the same, these guys fight in the same. They'd it's, have two different accents, us. too. <laughs> right. Just saying. Wow. <laughs> They're going to keep Very you busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, it's that thing, too, of, of um, uh, how long does that interaction go on? And, and is there a point in that fight where, where Laertes goes, there's a moment where he, he says to one of the guys, I, I don't know, this is, this is a little harder than I thought. It could be that he thinks, this guy is way better than I thought, or mm -hmm. I just can't seem to get him. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, does there's a part where he says, come on, let's go again. And sometimes that's when Laertes just goes, come on, let's go again. And he hits Hamlet and cuts him. Oh. And he walks over to the other side of the stage, and Hamlet goes, that kind of hurt. And he looks and he sees some blood and he goes, holy cow, is that a sharp weapon? Because at the beginning they check the weapons, but then they switch. Laertes oh, switches. He, okay. He's handed Tricky. the poisoned one by the king's assistant, right? So at that point, you say, what's the difference between Hamlet getting that hit by Laertes just going, I can't get him, so I'll get him now. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Or is it in the third pass where when he hits him, he actually stabs him there and Hamlet goes, Ow. yeah, he hit me. But So then yeah. Hamlet says, nay, come again. Let's go again. Because he thinks, I want to find out if that's a sharp weapon. So in that fight, Hamlet is trying to get close enough that he can either disarm him or grab his, take his weapon away from him and look at it. And in some shows, he shows Horatio. See, it is tipped. It was, there was something going on here. And in other ones, he just takes it and sees it, and he says, oh, yeah? Here's my weapon. Now let's play. So now Laertes is like, holy shit. Yeah, we switched yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so those, kind of, so those are all those kind of things that come into question in that stuff, you know? Just like in... in it's interesting. In, you know, and, and you also think... Is this a fight that is over in two moves or in five moves or, you know, and so like? Well, see, that should come from story. Yeah, uh, that's how I design fights. Yeah. I read yeah. the script and in cooperation with the director and what what we need to see. Let's tell the story. Yeah, um, and it should not go any further. Yeah, 
I love it when the actor, when like that first part of a fight happens and there's a moment where the characters are like, man, this guy hits hard or I got to stay out of his <laughs> range or whatever, where they have to reassess their strategy about what they're going to do. Right. Where it just doesn't become a fancy, exciting, thrilling fight, but as well, each guy gets beat up through thirty times and, yeah. and nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, like how you know I've said this before. You know, you suck. <laughs> yeah, you just hit me thirty times and I can still fight. Mm -hmm. Or did, or for punching somebody, you know, did you hurt your hand when 100%. you did that? The reason in martial arts you learn to do the exact same thing with both hands is because you're going to break one. Mm -hmm. Your hands are very fragile, despite the fact. You know, you can create a really solid fist. If you break your hand, what are you going to do? Yeah. And if you hit something hard, like somebody's skull. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even the, one of the is a tactical fitness trainer who, who was, uh, his name is Scott Sonnen. And he, he trained, um, uh, I can't remember if it was which martial art it was, but he, he was often, he was, he became a world champion, but as he moved up there, he was fighting a lot of Russians and he kept getting beaten by the Russians. And he kept saying, what, what are they doing differently that, that it's the same martial art, but there's something I'm not getting. So he went over there and trained with them to learn that and stuff. And one of the things he ended up doing is he trains a lot of the tactical fitness is a body weight exercise. He doesn't use weights because he trains a lot of law enforcement and military guys who are out in the desert or mm -hmm. somewhere and they don't have barbells or whatever. Right. And whatever. So that so he would, you know, here's how you use a piece of rope. Here's how you use your body weight and stuff. And he talks about breath control. So because he says if you start in a fight and your adrenaline's going like that, it doesn't take very long before you lose your fine motor control skills. You, if you're if you got a knife or a club or a piece of wood or whatever, you won't be able to hold on to it sometimes because of your adrenaline and the and the and the way your body constricts and all that stuff. So he teaches this sort of way of breathing so <clears throat> as soon so you can get your breath under control and maintain your ability to keep your grip. Was this the answer he discovered when he went to train with the Russians as to what they but, were doing? But part of it. Okay. Part of it. And um, uh, just different things in her training and stuff like that that he did, you know. Um, but... Anyway, I'm wandering around. No, 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 this is great. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all part of it. Very yeah. interesting stuff. Um, yeah, but uh, this has been a master class. <laughs> well, yeah, now speak, speaking of master class, can we kind of, can we go back to accents a little bit here? Mm -hmm. I wanted to just know about uh, history, ancient stuff. When you're, you're talking about all these swords and things like this, and I'm thinking, well, accents uh, of... Uh, way back when yeah. in the medieval time obviously was very different than it is today yeah. and the regions didn't exist the same way um yeah how do you how do you work on something like that that's always a challenge when you have a when you have a uh, like even english accents right people use this rp this upper sort of generally when you get a call for an actor to get an audition they'll say this is an educated upper class character. We want an RP accent. So RP stands for received pronunciation. And received pronunciation came about um, uh, late, I think it's the late 1800s, early 1900s. 
some dialect coach out there is going to say, no, 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 it's a, it's this, this date, but, hmm. um, I'm going with yours. Was, it was, it was, um, uh, a way so that when, when people came from various regions, uh, in order to sort of get them to stop judging each other all the time from like George Bernard Shaw says, the minute an Englishman opens his mouth, he gives another Englishman a reason to hate him. <laughs> Right, because he immediately says, "Oh, I know where you're from. I don't have to pay attention to you. Like oh, you're a country okay. bumpkin, right? Versus somebody who hmm. has a you know more upper class act, whatever. So they like they categorize you. I mean, we still do that now. You'll hear people say, hey, how sure. are you, or whatever.' And sure, you, oh, okay, of course, right. yeah. you know. Um, so um, not to my Kentucky friends. Don't worry, yeah, mine, <laughs> mine either." <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, so they, they started to teach in schools this received pronunciation, which, which the idea was if we all have this certain way of speaking, then we free people up from we can that, all get along. that class. Thing, That's right? interesting. As the merchant class started to send their kids to better schools because they wanted to move up socially rather than what family you were born into, that received pronunciation was, the idea was to even it out. And then after a while, the BBC adopted it as their sort of BBC English, right? So that they could, they could have a clear understanding across the country of that speech. And everyone and, must sound like David Attenborough. Yeah. And, and, and there's also, like, you can tell a, a BBC, like the older school BBC correspondents when they were f putting stuff in, would have this way of ending a sentence that, that told the people on the other side, okay, he's finished with that sentence. They would say, and this is so-and-so reporting from Istanbul. Da-da-da. They still do that. Yeah, some of them will still do that. There was a reporter uh, at CBC. I can't remember her name. She she was uh, and um, she I think she was from the Caribbean, but she had so she had a kind of a Caribbean English accent, but she also would use that sort of Sarah Jones CBC News Toronto. So you knew it wasn't CBC News Toronto. So they're going. Is, is she done? Right, right. Okay, sure it's huh. that thing uh, th that happens that way. So it's this way of finishing off their sentence. I'm going to start interesting doing that. Yeah, yeah. Today, I mean, you hear that you hear that now in contemporary speech, where you have upspeak, where a statement sounds like a question. I parked the car, and it was raining, and I came inside. Mm -hmm. it, it's like the valley girl thing. Mm -hmm. Oh my God! Da, 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 da. Or, or at the end they go down and they go. To, they, they stop talking and they go to fry. Acting is hard, right? They, they <laughs> fry their voice. They de-voice it yeah. as a way to say they're done, right? Mm -hmm. Or you have people who say thank you, thank you. It's the, it's I'm speaking to you in a way that is not the least bit um, aggressive. Um, I'm sort of not, I don't want to offend you. That's I want to please you. And I'm smiling. If you say thank, thank you, 
but you're not you're smiling you can't go thank you so you go think so the ah sound now becomes an s sound think think t-h-e-n-k thank you I have to watch this podcast over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So you hear, you hear that, right? But so further to his question, further to Andrew's question about like medieval, let's say stick with the British oh, thing. Oh, right, yeah. The, no, but the middle, the, the, do you do so, you just make something up or so something for example, accepted? You have a Civil War film, right? Okay. Or something like that. Yeah. Now, I don't remember the exact date. I can't remember right now when phonographs or like they could actually record people right there are some recordings that go quite a ways back into i think it was the late 1800s somewhere in there hmm. um but before that we don't know like i've done shows where somebody says we need an early uh uh 1800s uh upstate new york accent you know first of all there was no sort of new york state at the time it was a colony and um, they got off the boat from England two years before, so they would have whatever region they have from there. Right. right? Like we, I worked with. Um, but that would just look funny in the movie. Yeah. But you you know Ksenia Solo right from from uh, she was on Orphan. I'm sure I do. But that's yeah. right. She did a show called Turn, which was uh, um, set in the uh, Revolutionary War in the United States. And uh, she eventually played the character who became B Benedict Arnold's wife. So her family was from um, very upper class in Philadelphia, wealthy family, and they were loyalists. They were loyal to the king. So they wanted to keep as much a connection to England as possible. So they kept their English accent. Americans hmm. started to develop their own mix of american speech in that period and shortly after that so one of the things that happened was like what what you do is like if they say like generally they'll say for the english people the, the loyalists or whatever just use an rp because that's what we're used to hearing okay. that's what we hear right and if it's if it's um somebody from uh, kentucky or the, that colony you know, don't go full sort of, you know, uh, Kentucky kind of twangy Appalachian or whatever. That, those sounds. Let's just let's just make it more of a sort of like Daniel Day-Lewis in Last of the Mohicans where he says Kentucky instead of Kentucky, like those sorts of things. So you look at things like uh, poetry from the pe period and you'll see that the certain words that rhyme that don't rhyme now that rhyme oh, back interesting. like like um wow uh if you say the bird was a little wren and will never come here again like for us that rhymes but if they said there was a lot of rain and it won't come again right and but we would say there's a lot of rain and won't come again right doesn't rhyme right so you could you can see from those things, oh, these were words that rhymed. Uh, you, can, you can tell from um, diaries and things of people, like their diaries and things of people who visited Canada, for example, and said, well, the, the, the speech here is different than in England. It's kind of like this. Or people saying these Americans have this really rough sound or whatever. Um, some 
places changed that speech, right? As they as they as an act of rebellion as well. And also different words from different dialects got sort of used over and over and they just became, you know, words that we all use. Right. Like in, in Pennsylvania like the Pennsylvania yes. Dutch, for example, is actually crazy. Pennsylvania Deutsch. Those were German immigrants. But people stopped saying instead of Deutsch, they'd say Dutch. So they think of it as Pennsylvania Dutch, but they are not Dutch ancestry. They are German ancestry. Right. Things like that. That's that's crazy. You're blowing my mind. And like here, you have, you know, the Scots influence. And in areas in Ontario, for example, with a heavy Scottish background, like, you know, up in the Ottawa Valley and those areas, you have stronger sort of Scottish elements of the Ontario accent than in different places. But I mean, in general, if you took, if I took on a film set, I took 10 actor or 10 crew members and another 10 crew members and had everybody say the same thing it would be difficult for a lot of crew members other than say maritimes or quebec to say you're from guelph you're from saskatchewan uh, you like regina and you're definitely from cranbrook right it there there are subtle differences to those things but but the That's average canadian doesn't isn't able to place you that directly right unless they're from let's say they're here and they're from regina and there's something the person says that they know that's a regina sound or that's a regina word or whatever right um but but and i'm sure somebody out there's going no it's not you know but i just think everybody out there is going to their mirrors right now and watching their (laughs) mouths move when they speak and people are getting out their tape recorders (laughs) yeah but yeah, you, you. I mean, you'll like you can hear, like Tom Power on CBC. You can hear him say, "What were you doing on tour?" Instead of on the what what did you do on tour? He says, "What did you do on tour?" Um, or or there's a harder R that that R, you know, hmm. you know, we we were playing down in the bar, that that sort of East Coast R sound, which comes from that Scottish R, right? Yeah, the, I mean the only. Canadians, yeah. I can tell the difference between us. Maybe Other somebody from Quebec and Newfoundlanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so so you know, there's there all sort of variations. Like there are there are things that people in Toronto say that they don't say other places. That is sort of locates totally. Yeah, that stuff and it's those not to mention just generational. Yeah, generational things. Yeah. You know, but but like you were asking about the, like the older period stuff. It's it's. You have to do one thing. You do your research and see if there's something. And there's more and more stuff that's been being written by various scholars and stuff that can help with that. That we're learning now, but it's also a question of, of um, uh, okay, let's say we're going to be super authentic about this thing um, from that period to a lot of to a modern ear. They may just say, "What are they?" Right, so you, no. but you have to modify that. So you figure out what works, what's acceptable in that sense, right? Mm. Um, mm. Like the RP, if somebody's playing, you know, the like people thinking Shakespeare has to be done with an English accent. There's a, a father and son team who have been working on um, finding Shakespeare's uh, language when he was around and getting closer to 
what first practices they call it what what that original english sound was and they look at it from words that he used and stuff like that where you've got r's and things like that um so that the the shakespeare's english in some cases they say sounds closer to american than it does to that but because mm. we had trained actors you know olivier and ralph richardson and you know peter o'toole and people like that who had that sophisticated rp upper class um sounding accent for us that's what we thought they sounded and and when they were making those old movies that had romans in them they got those actors to play them so we all, so you think of you know, Roman Senator speaking with him sort of English accent. <laughs> Julius Caesar, Hands you know, and down, that stuff, man. right? Wow. Uh, so they, they don't go to that, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to an Italian accent. That's interesting. So that huh. it, there, there are corners they cut in that. And it also depends on, you know, for that particular production, how, how far are they going to go into the whole thing? Like, like yeah. look at Westerns. There were very few people in the West, in the, and the whole Wild West was only about 20 years, only lasted about 20 years, and very few people actually carried a gun with them. Like the idea of everybody walking around with a sure. pistol on their hip, that's an American frontier fable. A lot of towns you know? didn't even allow guns. The Texas Rangers were the first sort of lawmen who, were, and other than, you know, like Jesse James or the bank robber type guys, most people didn't carry them. Like a, 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 a cowboy out in the range may have a rifle because of coyotes or wolves sure. or rattlesnakes Self or whatever. Sure. That, yeah. But 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 they weren't all you know. But same with the holster that they carry in movies is that's a Hollywood invention. They, mm -hmm. they, that was not an old west. Yeah. Rig that they wore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 always that question of do we do we go well, super authentic or not? You know? I don't know about you, but as a director. I want my money up on the screen. Mm -hmm. I want to save money in every possible way to put it on the screen. And you, brother, are on the screen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What, you've, what you bring to the movie is so important. I've, I've had a, a massive lesson here today. Hmm. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Like, it's mind-bending. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, there aren't a lot of us who do this. Um, and, um, like I've, I've had the good fortune to be able to work with some amazing actors and amazing directors and, and on fantastic projects that, that, you know, I would love to do that as an actor, but, you know, I, I have ended up doing it this way. Yeah. And, um, uh, my job, just like Patty Crane used to say with his fighting stuff, my job is to make the actor look good and make sure they're safe. With with the dialect stuff, I need to make the actor, first of all, so comfortable that they don't have to really think so much about the accent so that their performance can come through and to help them sound authentic, good, and that. And when I can be there on set, I can go in between takes and adjust something if oh. I hear it or or I also know sometimes you know what I'm just going to stand back and let them it would know. make a lot of sense to have you there kind of like stunt yeah. coordinator or anything yeah. else but see but uh, absolutely as a stunt coordinator my job is one to uh, 
uh, instill confidence in the actor that they can actually do this. Yeah. And so we've done this in rehearsals and we've done it together. And I actually, you know, you stand on set. You, you have to weigh whether or not you're going to step in or you don't step mm -hmm. in. Because sometimes when you step in, um, it undermines. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so, you got to take the temperature of the room. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Andrew. I would have you on set every single day. This is uh, for somebody that's not. And so, sometimes they're doing they, this movie a disservice. Sometimes they just can't afford it and stuff, or, yeah. or, yeah, or mean, they don't want it or whatever. And yeah. then I try to pr prepare the actor as much as I can by going over the script and so they know the line. The, the danger there is if they have to, two things, if they have to ad lib is one thing. And the other thing is the minute they have a lot of props. Yeah. The minute they have to think about, oh, this is a cooking scene. I have to remember my continuity that I put the carrots in here sure. and I put mm -hmm. the peas and this sure. thing on the stove. And what I do then is I landscape it with them, so a landmark it. So remember, when you say this line, you're going to put the peas in. When you say this line, you put the carrots in. So you can help remember. Oh. Because otherwise, they are so focused all of a sudden, like, I got to remember this, I got to remember that yeah. the act, That's when the accent goes, Right. when they have to ad-lib and make it up. Especially if, it's, if you have an American actor who's shifting to say something Southern or something like that, it's not so much as if you have a French actor who has to speak like an American or something that it's a big jump for them where it's like not only second language but second language with an accent and suddenly they have 15 things they have to do with a proper hit, 10 marks. Th their mind is there, right? right? And, th and that's when it's tricky to go in. Well, my experience uh, uh, with you is just watching Tatiana Maslany. Oh, she's killer. She, she was a dream. Black. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. her preparation too, the way she just uh, listened to music and moved around and yeah. talked to herself all between yeah, all she the had takes. Each, she each of the clones had a different movement, different kind of music. She, you know. Uh, it was and, so sweet yeah. to watch. And she was, she was wonderful in, in allowing me to help her with when we'd have a new clone of like for Allison, who is just like a Canadian clone, right? So she, it's not like we had to do a lot of accent work there, but what we did look at was she's an uptight person. She wants to be in control. So how vocally does that manifest itself? Is she chopped and very clear and articulate with what she, and oh, so she wow. da, 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 right? So it was, how does that, very cool. how does that manifest itself? <coughs> do Helena. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Helena was, you know, but like for example, um, Rachel, yeah. right, who was very calm and all that stuff. We sort of modeled her a little bit after Anna Wintour, um, the the editor of Vogue, right? You had that special haircut, immaculately groomed. Hmm. We noticed that in a lot of interviews, she <clears> would sit with <throat> her hands like that, and I said. She's this woman who has so much power over fashion, over whoever she works with. She's like, you don't say whatever she says goes, right? She reminded me of a tiger who has, you know there are these deadly stiletto claws in her hands here, but she doesn't have to do this. She just, mm. there they are, folks. So we looked at, maybe Rachel is that way. She just, she just doesn't, she doesn't have to, do anything you just you just know it's there right totally so that's the, brilliant love you know, it yeah. so those different i'm glad you brought that up you know, andrew 
I mean, uh, Michael Caine talks about if you're playing uh, a character who lies, you blink a lot, you know. And if you if you're, he says, it, and there's this one class where he says when he was um, doing educating reading, where he says, if I say to you, I'd like a coffee and um, some sugar, and can I maybe get can I maybe get two sugars, versus saying, I'd like a coffee and a sugar, and don't mess it up. And he doesn't blink. He just looks at you. Yeah. He says, you know, that 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 makes the a difference. Thing. Those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, you know, no blinking. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I also learned from Michael Caine to look at the eye closest to the yeah, lens. Yeah, the thing, yeah. I love that. Um, Shirley Dean told me that. We so were that your eyes are 60 feet high going like this. Yeah. She <laughs> was telling me she learned that from Paul Newman. She okay. was doing a f film with Paul Newman. And we were doing a thing with... Um, Adam Arkin, Alan Arkin, it was his first directing gig, and it was called My Sweet, My, my, Louisiana, my Louisiana Sky, no, My Louisiana Summer. Anyway, th there was a young actress who was, it was her first film, she was the lead actress, and, and in one of those scenes, her close-up, her eyes were doing that, and Shirley just went up and said, honey, when you're looking at him, you know, just look over that, that eye, and, and I hadn't heard that either i, love I said that. oh that's great, great and she thing. said paul newman taught me that you know and that's one of the, one things of the terrible actors of the time yeah i know yeah. <laughs> whatever happened to him he's making salad oh, dressing yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> oh that's awesome i wanted to mention we were talking about cars earlier right um uh my dad had a um a mercedes 300 sl roadster that it was a it was a 1961. It was originally brought over from Europe by Audi Pabst. You know Pabst breweries. Do you mm -hmm. know Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer sure. in the States? Of course. So he had that car, and after a while he sold it and got something else. And the the guy who owned the cheese factory that my dad worked for <coughs> bought it. And when his boys were, you know, sort of old enough, they were driving a lot. He said to my dad one day, "Jake, I've I've got this 300 SL, and my boys are going to kill themselves in it because they're driving it like a madman, and I don't want to lose my kids, and I don't want to lose that car. Are you interested in it?" And he was like, "That was his dream car," and so he he bought this car, and so I grew up from the time I was like seven or something like that with this 300 SL in the garage. And my brother and I used to just go and sit in it, you know. And oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gorgeous. I'd go sit in it now. Yeah. And yeah. and so we had, I, you know, took my girlfriend to prom in that car and stuff. And, and cool. once in a while when I used to get to go see my girlfriend, I had a girlfriend who lived in a different town, an even smaller town than Makokata, and there was a stretch of road from there to there that I don't know. Now, when I think back, my dad was so generous to trust me with that car. <laughs> um, but they it was always this are. straight, long section, and I would get it out, and I would just, you know, yeah, man, watch it go up to like 130, 130. Yeah, dad didn't have to know you about know, that. Just boom, you know. <laughs> and that car wasn't even like it wasn't even breathing. You could you could be doing 70 miles an hour just in second gear. You yeah, know? It, it just and, and the steering wheel was huge. And the sills, the door sills were that wide and all. Um, and then later when my dad it was older and said, um, I, d I don't want to have the car. I'm nervous about having the car around. I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable driving it anymore and stuff. The, um, 
the guy who was our mechanic for the car, for all of my dad always had Benzes or BMWs, and um, he always used to look after them. Um, he bought it, and he restored the car. He wanted he took it completely apart, went through everything and restored it, and took it to one of those grand concours sort of things, you know, where they judge your cars and all that stuff. And he got a he got a perfect score. Nice. Oh wow! And he went up to the guy and he said to, to the, one of the judges, "said um, There must be a mistake. You know, you gave me like a hundred points or whatever, and you know nobody ever gets a hundred points." And the guy said, "Steve, uh, your car is a hundred point car. It's perfect. It's immaculate. Yeah, wow. yeah. And and uh, it, it was. I'm so happy that car ended up." With this guy who Where is it loved now? it, it's in, in in Iowa, in Clinton, Iowa. He has a um, uh, he has a little garage where he works on Benzes and BMWs primarily. He used to work at the the Benz dealer, and then eventually started his own uh, uh, company and restores them. And uh, um, so he took this car and put it like to Beautiful. perfect, Love it. perfect condition. Wow. Yeah, great story. Yeah. I love that. Well, John, uh, before we wrap up, we need you to sign our table, if that's okay with you. Sure. We and would you love can draw that. a little picture, as you can see, others have. Or you can give your signature an accent, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I'll sign it. There's a thing we use called International Phonetic Alphabet, which is a, a series of symbols where each symbol represents a certain sound. Okay. And we have to be able to read this yeah. later. Some actors know this, and if you if they know it, and they can say this sound is going from at. Let's say you have a more Midwestern American sound. Instead of saying tan, they say tin. Like just a minute, tian. I'll go get it. Tin, tin, and tan will get you twenty. Yep. Right. So I'll say so. The ass sound is a sort of a backwards. It's a sort of a script e. Okay. Right. But the i sound is a capital I. A small an e sound is a small i. So I can say to an actor, "You're going from the mm. that sound to this sound." You can, and they know, oh, that's the i, that's the e sound. So they can. And this is what they would use in a dictionary, perhaps. The dictionary to, is not always international phonetic alphabet, but they do have a little key, usually at the bottom of the page, where it'll say it sounds like this. Yeah. Yeah. Like pronunciation like, uh, because the because you're using letters that look similar to regular alphabet. Most actors, if I say okay, you're going to say tin and tin instead of ten and ten, they will write it out as tin, t-i-n, and tin. Right. Right. But there are other symbols that are like if you have a question mark but without the dot at the bottom, that's a glottal stop, which is like the uh uh, like when you hear an English guy going hello. Oh, oh, oh butter, wow. Butter, bit of butter. That's a glottal stop. Yeah. Your glottis goes, uh, and it stops the but, sound for a second. Yeah. So that, when you notate that, if you have the word butter in that accent, you would write the B, the uh sound is an upside down, like a tent. Uh, right in the middle of the mouth. Uh, uh, uh. And then you do the glottal symbol, and then you, you have a schwa, which is a little E, which is the... Uh, sound the unaccented vowel right so you would have but uh so i could give that to somebody who knows ipa and they would go 
butter because they they know the symbols. This this is the longest explanation from anyone about to <laughs> yeah. sign their uh, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Wow. He wrote butter. Butcher. There you go. Butcher. So I'll say. So that's my first name, John, written in IPA. It's a D oh. for the, and then this little sort of a Z, J, J, like the D is the D, the, that symbol is the J, like a measure, J, John. The backwards A is, is the sort of Midwestern A, John, John. and then the N. No. Mm. Yeah. So you yeah. can write, and you put it in a bracket, so it's that that way. Wow! Right on. The things you learn. I mean, Man. I don't know if you guys in 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 your stunt stuff. Do you have, like, do you when you plan out a fight? Like, if I have a sword fight, I have notation yeah. so that I can write down and later remember. Of course. Where I do that. You know, where I have a stick and it's this, it means that the slash is here. And if it's circled, it's a thrust up there and yeah. that kind of stuff. Do I don't have do little, this? I just write it out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have symbols that you just use as a, do you have a shorthand you use for certain stuff? No. No? Not, I don't personally. Mm -hmm. And with a car skid, do you just go? I have dinky, we just have dinky cars. I, 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 around around times, yeah. Yeah. I, I carry dinky cars. Yeah. And I just pretend and I give each guy one you squeal this one up you know yeah. we all play with cars for <laughs> yeah, a yeah. <laughs> John I cannot thank you enough oh this has been wonderful making the trek it was awesome no, no, thank it, you it was a master class I, yeah that was an education and a half that was very cool it was yeah. very cool well thank you there's That's a lot of there's a lot of stuff people can find on the internet watching this stuff they can um, find you uh, Instagram yeah, I'm on Instagram, but on YouTube they have guys who will do, like I said, they show different actors doing different things sure. and this stuff like that. That's yeah. kind of. Fun. I don't want them looking. Is up there other anything people. that you want anyone to know or or something that uh, you want to plug or anything at all? Uh, I mean, five five days at Memorial is a show that's out right now that that I worked on. That's I think it's a fabulous show. It's yeah, a wonderful, wonderful Memorial. show, and it shows you what happens when you got a corporation running your healthcare in a hospital. Copy that. And that stuff, you know, it, it, it shows you what gets left out and what mm. gets overlooked and how things get missed in, you know. What, what's your Instagram yeah. handle? Uh, it's when I, when I got Instagram, I, I thought it was one of those things where you never use your real name. You always use a different name. Yeah. yeah. So my Instagram <laughs> handle is ski, S-K-I, and then night, K-N-I-G-H-T. Because you're also a professional ski instructor, but we'll get to that yeah. in another podcast. One seven seven, which is the length of my skis. Ski night one seven seven. Yeah. Copy that. So anybody want to contact you or follow you, uh, they at, can go on that. That's incredible. At ski night one seven seven. Cool. Just don't send. Just don't send me the. I'm a Bitcoin person, and you know. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding. We're gonna we're gonna send some of those people toward you, but yeah, okay. thank you. We're, we're gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. so uh, uh, cut it, D. Thank you, John. <laughs>